It started as a scritch. Then everyone got in a fur pile, and pretty soon we were all yiffing. Gary Hoffman. Who is that guy? I love his suit. Shannon Farron. She's just a driven young woman. I don't know where she gets it. Do you guys know what this is? Gary and Shannon. Places, please. The dance is about to begin. Live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. Welcome to Tuesday, February 18th. It is National Drink Wine Day. Not just That's National not Wine Day, but National like Drink you, Wine Day. You've said that every, like, two weeks. No, you come Nick, up with a new... Uh, Nick alerted me to this. Uh, he did the research. It's true. It's all true. Huh. Did you see people showed up to the Astros batting pa- uh, practice and were banging on trash cans? <laughs> I love it. Don't they, uh, I'm going to have to check the schedule. Don't the Astros open the season in Anaheim? I don't know. I think that they do. And I think that uh, it's going to be an absolute mess. Oh, my gosh. If Rob Manfred doesn't do something between now and the start of the season. The game well, will take care of itself. Well, and I wonder, <laughs> would the team do something? The Astros have the ability, the Astros as an organization have the ability to suspend some of their players as well. I still cannot like get over that there's zero punishment. Zero. Well, and again, it was it's because been- the commissioner said these guys cooperated with the investigation. Well, wait a minute. But then A.J. Hinch is the one who gets, and the general manager, they're the ones who It was player-driven. Yeah. It's complete crap. And what sign does that tell everybody else coming into the game what sign does that say? What, what does that say to kids that are fans? You know, that it's okay to cheat. Cheating's all right. There's well, no punishment. I was happy to see Mike Trout uh, yes. make a statement. Mike Trout, who says nothing about anything, he just puts his head down and plays baseball. Right. Said in that very fatherly, prison crazy kind of way that he was very disappointed, which has got to cut a lot harder than even Cody Bellinger talking about as mad, as, mad as he was. To get Mike Trout mad at you? Yeah, Clayton Kershaw said, you know, to have Mike Trout, the best in the game, talk like that about you can't feel good. Uh, We'll talk more about it in Swamp Watch coming up. But uh, Michael Bloomberg, we told you, has qualified for the debate this week in Vegas. Yep. And when the candidates, before they go to these debates, they'll gather some of their team members together and they'll do mock debates. One of the questions that we know Michael Bloomberg is going to have to face, whether it's from the, the uh, podium, from whoever's uh, moderating this thing, or from other people on the stage, it's about his sexist comments that he's made towards women. Or I should say, he's allegedly made towards women. I don't know. I wasn't there. He's going to get torn apart by people like Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar on that stage. Well, there's a big campaign event rollout today in Los Angeles as part of the Mike Bloomberg presidential campaign women women get it done express bus tour <laughs> it's going to begin at 11 a.m. featuring some of the women playing key roles in the campaign the irony uh, oh, by the way, uh, was traffic bad today because the president's going to be in town? It was bad for me, and I don't come from an area where it would affect the traffic. I know, but and I know he's not even supposed to land at LAX, I think, until about 3.30. 3:30. 
But man, today sucked for some reason. Well, uh, let's talk about coronavirus. Uh, I'd huh? love to. I'm declaring a public health Jeez, emergency of international concern. This is a fluid situation. <laughs> you get a cough, please leave the room. Hey. This is a class one hey, emergency. Well, it looks like we've got about 1,900 new cases reported by China. So, out of zero. Death toll yeah, is zero. up by 98 here. Oh, I saw the number 73,000 plus around the world. We're approaching 1,900 deaths from coronavirus. Now, I will say this. There is a report that 80% of cases have been mild. So there has been some guarded optimism from health officials. Yeah, and I suppose that even if the people – so the the latest on the Americans who were taken off the cruise ship and brought through California, those who tested positive were – they said – and this is – I don't know if it's good news or bad news – they were asymptomatic and then taken on to Nebraska, and that's where they are. If you tested positive, you went to Nebraska. The problem with it is they were asymptomatic and still tested positive, which goes to what we talked about earlier in the week, uh, earlier last week, I should say, where there's a good chance that this is being spread by people who do not know they have the, the virus. They do not know they have coronavirus because they have not shown symptoms but could still test positive. In the meantime, more criticism about that quarantine on the Diamond Princess. Growing number of scientists say the ship served as an incubator for the (laughs) virus instead of a quarantine facility meant to prevent the worsening of the outbreak. Well, of course. So there's about 3,700 passengers and crew members so far. About 542 cases of the virus have been identified, which is a huge percentage. But I think that's exactly what they wanted to do is keep all the people that may be infected on that ship and the rest be damned. Because otherwise you're going to have that influx into Japan and the the potential to spread it even worse if they had not left them in the incubator. What would we have done? I mean, this is Japanese health officials to make the decision to keep that that uh, ship docked and not allow people to disembark. That's their decision. What do you think the United States government would have done? Had the same thing happened in a cruise ship that came from, you know, comes up from Mexico and wants to dock at San Diego or something like that. We would have done exactly the same thing, at least initially. The idea, though, uh, of using this, you know, as whether it's a quarantine or an incubator is a strong debate amongst the scientists. But if nothing else... It gives those doctors the opportunity to see how this thing travels through a population in a controlled environment, semi-controlled environment like that. Because, you know, of course, it's supposed to be uh, virus borne spores, sputum. Love that word. If people are coughing and and hacking up a lung, yeah, there's a chance it's going to get into you, into your system that way. But maybe it travels via the air conditioning system in the boat. Maybe it is aerosolized that we don't know about until we see it in an incubator scenario like that. In Wuhan, where this thing began and took off, the doctor who was able to mobilize all the resources of his hospital to deal with the thousands of sick people arriving daily, a guy by the name of Lu Ziming, has died from this. It has cost him his life. They had all-out attempts to save him, reportedly. He's at least the seventh health worker to die of this 
among the more than 1,700 doctors and nurses who have become sick? Did you see, I'm not sure uh, when this came out, but I saw that men were dying at a higher rate than women. Men who had been infected, it's been more fatal for them. They're at a 2.8% mortality rate. Women are 1.7. So you're screwed, man. Well, I'm hoping that you don't get it and bring it here and then. (laughs) Why am I the one to get it and bring it here? Uh, Let's do our let's do our contact tracing for the last couple of weeks. Where'd you go? Where'd you go at the uh, end of January, beginning of February? Uh, Miami. Miami. Um, With how many other your friends? Close friends. (laughs) 100,000, perhaps? Yeah. In and out of a couple of different major international airports? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, how's my coloring? It's fine. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'd say it's a shade lighter than usual. Is it? Yeah. I don't know if it's just the the shade is drawn. For real? No. Okay. Well, I mean, you know how I pretty, get. You're pretty white anyway. I mean, yeah. it's not like. You're, you're looking pretty pale today, too. All right. Well, um, you the guys. next shade lighter for you is transparent. It's uh, like a baby gerbil. Okay. okay hey. I know. Me, too. How do you think I know that? It's because of me. A baby gerbil. <laughs> yeah, you can see their organs when they're. <laughs> totally. Um, okay. You guys, this is hitting the business world pretty hard. And it's not just business in China, it's extending here. Everywhere, globally. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Bottom of the hour, we're going to rejoin the Harvey Weinstein trial. The jury now has that case. Yeah, there are details that came out in evidence in this trial that have not been reported on. Uh, Details that show actually how one-sided reporting that Ronan Farrow stuff was. I mean, there were some little bits that we haven't reported on on the show that we were reading through this morning that are not good for the prosecutors in this case. Hey, you know what else I, I realized? No police officers testified. No. Which is unusual, I think. It is. I mean, um, we'll talk about that at the bottom of the hour. Water levels are dropping, it looks like, throughout the south. But places in Mississippi still under a flash flood watch. They're expecting as much as two inches of rainfall uh, in some areas. And then a mountain lion attacked a six-year-old girl in Northern California. Fish and Wildlife said the girl was at the Rancho San Antonio County Park. Where is that? An open space preserve in Cupertino. Oh. When the mountain lion attacked her on Sunday, uh, that park is going to stay closed for the foreseeable future. Well, it looks like there are a number of companies that have been hit by this norovirus. Activity at Chinese factories has slowed or stopped. Fewer cargo ships from China are docking at ports here in Southern California. Chinese visitors spending in L.A. could plunge, they say, nearly $1 billion this year. And we, as shoppers, might start seeing items missing from the store shelves as early as mid-April. It looks like big box retailers like Walmart and Target could be the first to experience these out-of-stock issues because they restock more quickly. I wonder if any of this changes the way we do business. I I get the sense that this is one of those SARS-style events where we're all talking about it pretty hot and heavy 
but there's a chance that this thing dies out in six to eight months and all of these things are put back in play. I mean, all of these uh, production issues are then taken care of and it just kind of, you know, we backfill everything that we're, we've been missing for the last couple of months. It's a possibility, but this thing is not showing any signs of slowing down. Yeah, like we reported, it looks like the majority of the new cases do appear to be mild, but there are still a hell of a lot of new cases going on every day. I do think, though, that the timing of this is pretty weird. Uh, the Chinese plants had shut down, a lot of them had, for a couple of weeks for their Lunar New Year on January 25th. And that's right on when a lot of this was ramping up. And now they're stuck. They can't go back to their factories because of the quarantines that are in place in so many different places around China. The number I saw yesterday was 70 million people. Oh, I heard 150 million this morning, which is half the population of our country. That many people restricted from traveling to different degrees. I mean, some of them can't leave their city limits. Some of them literally can't leave their apartments without permission. And have to get groceries and things, uh, provisions supplied to them, delivered to them. Some of the factories that did open can't get the raw materials that they need, like fabric or plastic, to make the products. And if they do make the products, then they just have to stockpile them. You can't put them on the road because the quarantine means you can't travel from one site to the other. So you can't put them on a ship and you can't send them around the world. Uh, Mattel, for example. Mattel says... The Chinese factories and those of its contract partners were supposed to restart production on the third. Now there's uh, the third of February. Now they're saying that they will stay shut until Monday at the earliest. Chief financial officer from Mattel said we do expect uh, production delays. None of the manufacturing is located within Wuhan province where all of this is, you know, sort of ground zero for coronavirus. But the ability of the manufacturing workforce to return to work after Lunar New Year is being impacted by all of this. Apple confirmed concerns yesterday. We told you when it warned investors it would miss its revenue guidance for the first quarter. China makes 80 percent of the world's smartphones and tablets. And it exports 55% of the world's handsets and computers. (laughs) That's a lot. Uh, Qualcomm has also come out. Qualcomm, the chip manufacturing giant, warned shareholders that the virus had introduced significant uncertainty into their overseas supply chain. Uh, Just The port of of L.A., too. When you think about all the business that comes into the port of L.A., all the people that that work there, they've estimated that the uh, port's executive director is has estimated that there would be 80 fewer sailings of ships from China to the U.S. That means 350,000 fewer shipping containers received in the coming weeks. So then you're thinking about longshoremen, dock workers, truck drivers, all of those people that rely on those shipping containers coming in are just going to be told to stand down. You mentioned tourism in terms of the loss of potential Chinese tourists in Southern California. But if you think of in the United States in general, here's an interesting barometer that they say they're going to look at next month when we get some spending reports out of Vegas, for example. Right. Baccarat. Specifically, Baccarat. Very popular with the Chinese. So they're saying if they can check their Baccarat table incomes and see how many people are spending, if at all, or what the drop is, that that's going to be the biggest canary in the coal mine when it comes to seeing the tourism dollars that are drying up because people either can't come to the United States for travel, for vacation or whatever, or won't come because they're afraid of, you know, whatever. I don't know why they'd be afraid to go into Vegas. It's incredible what Vegas can tell us, you know, (laughs) as goes Vegas goes the rest of us.
There are a number of U.S. firms that sell goods and services in China losing sales to the virus. You think of the big ones like McDonald's, Nike, Starbucks have closed tons of stores there. Under Armour said the outbreak would cause its sales to drop by 50 or 60 million. You know what else is closed? Disneyland. Yeah. Not ours, but Disneyland in Shanghai, Disneyland Hong Kong. Right. They said it's expected to cut $175 million from the second quarter operating income because those Disney parks are down. All right. We think about Harvey Weinstein and we think, oh, this is an open shut case. Well, that was not the case that was presented in Manhattan as jurors weigh his fate beginning today. We'll talk about it when we come back. Gary Channel will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Federal judge refused to delay sentencing for Roger Stone on his conviction for witness tampering, lying to Congress. Judge's decision came after the president tweeted that his longtime alley's conviction should be thrown out. The president actually also went after uh, Obama on Twitter, too. Obama went online yesterday to talk about how it had been 11 years, I think, since he signed the Recovery Act kind of taking credit for the economic revival of the country. And uh, the president slapped back, look at this guy, trying to take credit for my uh, economic success, (laughs) in so many words. Great. uh, That gets a lot of work done, doesn't it? Um, The president, by the way, is due in Los Angeles later today. He's in the air. I believe he left already, uh, but he's in the air, and he will be landing at LAX, sometime about uh, 3.20, 3.30, around that area, make his way to Santa Monica and then into Beverly Hills. Uh, he's got a fundraising thing a little bit later. He's checking on the uh, preparations for the Olympics in 2028. So there may be some traffic issues, uh, or I should say nightmares, a little bit later on the west side. Well, the jurors at Harvey Weinstein's rape trial have begun deliberating. Of course, it is the accuser's testimony against Weinstein's claim that the acts were consensual. And there were details that came out in this trial that we had not heard about, despite the ad nauseum reporting on all of his dalliances slash assaults slash rapes that were reported with Ronan Farrow. And these details are problematic, number one, for the prosecutors in this case, and number two, for the reporting of Ronan Farrow. It seems like it was quite one-sided. And when you look at some of the correspondence between the accusers and Weinstein, it's going to be tough for this jury to unanimously convict. I think you're headed towards a hung jury at best here. Which is amazing considering the going into that dozens of women at least 80. Yeah, doesn't saying that that he is a complete a-hole and had either sexually assaulted and or raped and or harassed them to various levels over several decades. So listen to this. These charges involve specifically one woman named Jessica Mann. She's 34 now. She was an aspiring actress from a dairy farm in Washington state. She met him at a Hollywood party when she was 25. She testified that he raped her in 2013 at a hotel in Manhattan. However, she continued a relationship with him for several years afterward. She had consensual sex with him. 
She attended Oscar parties as his guest. She sent hundreds of affectionate messages. She emailed him at one point to thank him for arranging an audition with a vampire movie, saying, I appreciate all you do for me. It shows. Six months later, miss you, big guy. She asked him to meet her mother in another email. You can see how good my genes are, she wrote. Now, the prosecutors maintained with experts that this was common in, in rapist and in, in rapey relationships where there will be contact that follows said rape or assault because right. you're worried. And, the, and the, the, the adoring sound of those lines, the emails and the text, aren't necessarily an indication that she felt that way. It's that... She didn't want to anger him. She may have been trying to suppress the memories of what had happened. Yeah, but I mean, ask, and I'm not making excuses. Uh, I don't know what it's like to be assaulted. But when you go, the it's one thing to text back or email like, oh, yeah, you know, miss you or uh, thanks for hooking me up with this this interview. But then asking to have him meet your mother. And then four years later, she writes, I love you. I always do. But I hate feeling like a booty call. Oh, that's something that you would not, I don't think, and at least there's an argument for it in that jury room, you would not text somebody who raped you. That, to me, seems like desperation because you don't want to be a side chick anymore. Right. And Donna Rotano, Harvey Weinstein's attorney, said that as much to the jury. This is not the way you would characterize your relationship with your rapist. Um, and that she made a choice that she wanted the life that he could prevent, uh, potentially provide for her. Um, the other accuser, uh, the production assistant that was there, this 42 year old woman who's now, or she is now 42, Mimi Haley, uh, also continued a consensual relationship a- after with Harvey Weinstein after he allegedly forced uh, oral sex on her in 2006. And the prosecution says, that any man could be found guilty for retrospective rape years later well, over a consensual sexual encounter. If this prosecuted, prosecution uh, case is successful, right? that's exactly what it could mean down the line. One way that Donna Rotono told Vanity Fair that it comes down to is regret sex is not rape. What I don't, what I don't think... Donna Rotano is allowing for, though, is that even if you are in a relationship with someone, a rape can occur. Sure. She, she, she said in her defense on Thursday um, that, that the prosecution's case is an alternate universe in which women are not responsible for the parties they attend, the men they flirt with, the hotel room invitations, the plane tickets they expect, the jobs they hope to attain. Now, what I, don't, I disagree with her there is... All of those things, even if a woman accepts an invitation it's to a not, party, it, you don't it deserve to be raped with a man. because of it. Right. Right. Yeah. That was a dumb line of hers. Um, but here's the other option on the table. Even if the jury finds that the prosecutors did not prove their case, even if they find that this behavior post rape of continuing to text him and email him and say these adoring things does not rise to the level of a conviction. Do they convict him anyway? Because in a perfect world, sure, you wish that the jury only considers what is presented at trial, but you couldn't get away from this story for two years. Yeah. You know, and, and we all know the stories of Harvey Weinstein and especially in New York where he was a fixture. Everyone in that jury box knows more than what was presented at trial. Now, they're supposed to only consider what was 
presented at trial. But do they, in the vein of the OJ jury, decide to do what they want to do? When that's over, by the way, when this case is over, regardless of how it comes out, hung jury, acquittal, guilty, something, he's still facing trial here in L.A. County as well. Uh, And I don't know how they work out which one's going to, you know, how they're going to do it. If he's found guilty, do they do they still go forward with a trial here? If he's acquitted, clearly they would. But it's, you know, I think everybody's watching this and I don't expect it to take very long. Even even if this, you know, the confusing messages here and Donna Rotano puts up a finger quotes successful defense. I don't think this takes very long. Whitey Bulger. Remember him? He was offed inside. Well, there's a juror that sat on his trial that now says she regrets voting to convict. We'll tell you why. and Why jurors are at times not Mensa members. <laughs> Excellent point. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. We keep on running, running through a red light Like we're trying to burn the night away, 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 away. Oh, Why are we always chasing after something like we're trying Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, remember Robert Durst? That trial is just starting. Jury selection is going to begin in L.A. tomorrow. They say this thing's going to last up to five months. This was the guy who was the subject of the jinx, the life and deaths of Robert Durst. Against his lawyer's advice, he gave 20 hours of interviews to HBO for this documentary series, and it's pretty much what tripped him up. We'll talk about it coming up in about an hour. We should. This is like all court stuff today. It's True Crime do, Tuesday. It is True Crime Tuesday, but we should do like an offshoot of True Crime Tuesday that's also this whole court's out of order. Ooh. True Crime Tuesday, colon, this whole court's out of order. Like NCIS. We should get that audio. New Orleans. Nick! Where is that guy? He's injured. Hey, Blake, stop talking for a second. Would you tell Nick... When he comes back in, we're going to need the sound of anyone saying, this whole court's out of order. Can I talk now? Thank you. Yes. Yeah, we'll get it. Finish finish conversation. Well, it looks like the crime boss known as Whitey Bulger, who terrorized Boston from the 1970s into the 1990s, 90s, murder, extortion, drug trafficking, was writing to one of the jurors that convicted him. This Janet, was Janet Janet. This was the guy who was on the lam for 16 years and I still remember being out there in Santa Monica on the morning that they found him just parked in the, my news vehicle um right on that street stalker this unassuming apartment building where Whitey Bulger the, had been living for nearly 20 years. One of the world's most years. renowned criminals. Yes. Just hanging out. Uh Janet Ular was one of 12 jurors who found Whitey Bulger guilty in that racketeering case. 11 murders, um, even after hearing evidence that he was helped by some corrupt agents in the Boston office of the FBI. But that's not what she says convinced her, or I should say, made her regret the convictions. She has 70 letters that Whitey Bulger wrote to her from prison. And some of these letters describe his... Wait, 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 hold on a second. 
She has 70 letters that he wrote to her. How many did she write to him? Oh, probably out of zero. to Janet, Janet, Janet. Ladies, again, you know your worth. You're better than writing to that guy in prison, especially the ones you don't even know. It's one thing if it's somebody who you love, a family member, something that goes that goes and has to do some time. But like dudes, you don't even know that are in there for murder. You don't hear a lot of stories about dudes who are pen pals with women in prison. I'd like to hear those stories. I bet they're out there. If you are currently writing to a female who is incarcerated, please let us know. Anyway, so he was in federal prison back in the 50s. And the agency, the FBI, was dousing him and other people's, I should say, dosing him with LSD. They said at the time it was a way to... Um, they were looking for a cure for schizophrenia. But it was really a secret CIA experiment with LSD on the incarcerated. Yeah, it's known as uh, MK Ultra. You can look it up. So there are stories about it abound uh, in terms of why the FBI wanted it, the CIA as well, in terms of maybe finding a way to turn off people's subconscious that would so that they could kill people with impunity they wouldn't feel guilty about now it. on one hand sounds kind of nice right you're inside you've got nothing to do um mix in a little lsd however sounds nice lsd if you're in the wrong place can lead to a really bad trip really bad mental issues the last place you may want to be taking lsd is i don't know in a tiny cell just sounds like the wrong drug to do at that time. So he says that it happened to him more than 50 times and that his lawyers never brought this up in his federal trial. So Janet says to his juror, had I known, I would have absolutely held off on the murder charges. She says he did not murder prior to the LSD. His brain may have been altered. So how could you say he was really guilty? Well, my question was, how did she find out? And what turns out is she says she started writing to Whitey Bulger Uh, Because she was troubled by the fact that a lot of the evidence against him in the murder trial in the uh, racketeering case was testimony from former criminal associates of this guy that flipped and said, pointed the finger at Whitey Bulger. And she says, when I left the trial, I had more questions. Listen, Janet, the time that you have questions to, to stop, you know, to not convict the guy is while you're in the jury room, not to then come out and say you regret. But she started writing letters to him, and he would write back and put the time of day that he's writing them. So it would be the middle of the night, one, two, three in the morning, and she asked him, why are you writing me so late? And he says, the hallucinations. So she asks him to explain, and he says what he had already told many others, that since taking part in these LSD experiments at federal prison in Atlanta, he'd been plagued by nightmares, gruesome hallucinations, and was unable to sleep for more than a few hours at a time. He said, sleep was full of violent nightmares. Wake up every hour or so. I'm still that way since 1957. He even wrote in another letter that when he was on The Rock, when he was at Alcatraz, he said, I felt at times that I was going insane. Auditory and visual hallucinations, violent nightmares. I still have them. I always slept with the lights on. It helps when I wake up. About every hour. Hey, I I get nightmares sometimes. You do too, right? Sometimes. You ever killed someone because of them? Ah. Let me go through my no. No. Nope. No. Um, Janet. Janet goes on to say it's horrifying. Uh, it opens up the question of whether he was responsible for the murders he con- 
committed. He wasn't on the LSD when he butchered people. <laughs> he some of the, his the murders just, are the most. I want to re. I want to reread her line. It opens up the question of whether he was responsible for the murders he committed. So he committed the murders. She's rappli- uh, grappling with whether or not he's responsible for them. Yes. What was funny was uh, Anthony Cardinale, a Boston attorney who has represented a bunch of organized crime defendants, said he would have opted for an insanity defense in part because of the evidence against Whitey Bulger, the abundant evidence. You're not insane if you're able to spend 16 years evading the law. Hiding, right. Yeah, sorry. Without committing another crime, ostensibly, as far as we know. Um, Why didn't, if this was the case, if hallucinations were a massive issue, if part of his brain was fried because of the FBI dosing him with LSD in the late 50s and early 60s, where was the defense on that? Why couldn't they bring that up at trial? I would imagine that would have been. Because I don't think it's a viable defense. Well, true. I, I mean, mean it may, sure, why it not may throw not have everything been, at the wall? But that's the yeah. thing. It, it, all you need is that one person. And Janet clearly is that one person who would have true. said, well, true. LSD, maybe he didn't. Maybe he's not responsible for the murders. He committed, but he's not responsible for them. Whitey Bulger was one of the smartest criminals uh, and most brutal uh, criminals as well in terms of how he killed people. I don't remember all the details, but it's your classic mob things. You can't even imagine stuff in terms of cutting people up and feeding them to machines and all of that. Machines? Oh, yeah. Meat grinders. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Jody. <laughs> Steve Gregory's going to do it different gonna, in New Jersey. Steve Gregory's going to join us when we come back. Is it really the most dangerous intersection in Los Angeles? I'm not so sure. Steve Gregory is going to take down journalism careers when we come back. It's going to be great. When the journalists check on the journalists. Mm, I love it when they police each other. Reporters are such hateful little people. Really? You'd want to do LSD in prison? I don't know. I don't think so. That's what I'm saying. Like, it could be something to do if it went the right way because you're bored in there. Or... It could land you in a really bad trip where you go freaking insane. Mix in a push-up or something like that. Like, well, I'm not, do some I'm not, planks. I'm not Just, planning for my future here. We don't know. We don't know that. Gary and Shanna will continue right after this. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The president issuing some commutations, some pardoning. He started off the day pardoning Eddie D. Eddie DeBarlo Jr. (laughs) 49ers news. The 49ers (laughs) owner convicted in that bogus gambling fraud scandal. All he wanted was a riverboat gambling license. That's all. He was essentially the reason that the 49ers won five Super Bowls under his watch. Eddie D was all about first class, and those guys could commit the biggest sins and errors off the field, and he would make them all go away. So thank you, Eddie. Uh, He also commuted the sentence of Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, the funnest name in all of American politics, Rod Blagojevich. 
who essentially sold, sold the Senate. Seat. He sold Barack Obama's Obama Senate seat. seat when he was governor. And, and the president referred to it as like totally bogus. And uh, so funny. Well, you can't sell seats in the United States Senate. Apparently you can. And you can cheat in baseball. Uh, he also, I, I believe it's that he uh, pardoned former New York Police Commissioner Barney, or Bernie Carrick as well. Who uh, had some tax issues, tax fraud. Well, Steve Gregory joins us now here, fresh off of his uh, three golden mic win over the weekend, which I think is a little light. Usually you win (laughs) five to seven. All right. Uh, You're very kind. But you weren't here full time, so I guess that's the reason. But next year, I'd like you to uh, step it up a little bit. Okay. I will. Let me make note of that. I feel like, now listen, I appreciate the gamesmanship that you all are, but I will never... And I have never touched a Golden Mike Award. It's like the NBA oh, Championship here, Trophy. Touch I'm not mine, gonna, Gary. No, I am not going to touch Do you to want to touch, touch one of mine? No, here. stop pointing at it just, directly just at me. touch it right there. Nope, touch not it. even the tip of it. Everyone I does it. We've got a bunch in there. I know. You know? I, I mean, most of them are yours and mine. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. I just can't believe you never won for Best Newscast, even. Did you even enter? I don't know. Oh, I I never entered. If my stuff was entered, then Chris did it. Oh, but I never. Oh yeah. That, I never because I didn't yeah, need that, the I didn't need the ego stroking. Oh, that excuse. Is that right? Yeah. How many years were you in that newsroom? Before, and you know, not one. Twelve. Twelve, 12 years, years yeah. and not one golden mic. That's gonna silent, be some sort of record. Silent partner in all of that. <laughs> well, my offer stands. You can. What is have the offer? Any one of mine. You can have it. <laughs> And take it home, you put it up. A, you can do a Blagojevich and sell your award to him. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, didn't Ed Laskos get a golden mic? He's had golden mics, hasn't I he? love Ed Laskos. A 911 response as L.A. City fire and police rush to this intersection in Van Nuys. Uh, back to you. In West L.A. we go. Uh, He's so, talking about this intersection at Sepulveda and Sherman Way. Let's ruin some lives, shall we? <laughs> there was a reporter based out of USC, right, who uh, did this yeah. uh, study? Uh, it's a website called Crosstown LA, and the website is xtown.la. And apparently it's a, it's a what they say is a nonprofit aggregator of data. Mm. And what they do is they, they are – what they say is they're covering the city of Los Angeles with numbers. I mean, they're, it's all data-driven. Problem is, at least in this particular case, I happened to stumble on it by accident that the numbers of this story about the most dangerous intersection in Los Angeles were not correctly analyzed. Mm. The, it's, the story starts out across the thousands of miles of city streets in L.A. There's one intersection more than any other that causes trouble for vehicles and pedestrians alike. It's where Sepulveda meets Sherman Way in Van Nuys. Uh, if you know where that is, there's a couple of gas stations. There's a Chevron and a Mobile on one side, a McDonald's and a CVS on the other, uh, on the other corner. So, so when when you guys, you know this, you've been in, in the market long enough. Sometimes when law enforcement agencies or cities put out numbers, they just they kind of just barrage you with all this data. And yeah. You're like, well, what does this data mean? What you know? Come on, can you break it down a little more? And if you recall, years ago, the Los Angeles Police Department and the City of L.A. were having a lot of issues with how they were categorizing and classifying part one crimes. And, you know, they would put them down as sexual assaults and come to find out it was assault with deadly weapon or whatever. They were all being misclassified. So the the big data were all messed up because of classification. Well, that's kind of what happened here in this case. Now in cut a Gary, this is uh, captain Andy Nyman. So when I found out, when I saw this report, I knew based on the experiences I'd had with the city already that I knew that I at least had to ask the questions. What's this all about? So I called Captain Nyman. I said, hey, can I come meet with you? 
break this down, he kind of chuckled. He said, well, the funny thing is that story that was reported is incorrect, and he explains it. With respect to that story that said uh, that Sherman Way in Sepulveda was the most dangerous intersection in Los Angeles because it had 47 traffic collisions is a little misleading. What the data did not uncover or reveal to the reporter was the fact that of those 47 collisions, not all of those 47 occurred in the intersection. In fact, only nine of those 47 actually happened within the intersection of, of Sepulveda and Sherman Way. And of those nine, only four had complained of injury collisions and one had visible injuries. So the reality is, if you're looking at danger in terms of people getting hurt, then I probably would not classify that as the most dangerous intersection in Los Angeles. <laughs> right. That's true. It's a good point. So you went from 47 like, on this in this story. Right. To nine, and they're fender benders, but only four were actually (laughs) injured. Yeah. So, come to find out, the state of California requires anyone that gets involved in a collision, the way the report is supposed to be written, if it's just a little bump of the bumper, uh, hit and run, t boning in the middle of an intersection, it's all classified as collisions. But you have to note the nearest intersection. I see. So those forty-seven that were happening. Uh, of the nine that went there, the remainder happened blocks away and may have been something as simple as a, a, a shopping cart bumping into a car, and it was reported as a collision. So what is the most dangerous intersection, Steve? Ah, great question. In cut B here, uh, Captain Nyman breaks it down. So based on the data that I have right now, Oxnard and Van Nuys had 17 collisions in the intersection. There were a total of 21 that were attributed to Oxnard and Van Nuys, but only 17 out of those 21 occurred in the intersection. There you go. Oxnard. Oxnard and Van Van Nuys is the actual, but is it really the most dangerous intersection? Mm -hmm. See, inside Captain Nyman, being a traffic cop, as he explains, every intersection has the potential of being dangerous. It's based on behavior. It's not based on the physicality of an intersection. It's behavior. So every intersection. It's a crapshoot. It is, really. And if you're speeding through in a yellow, much like people I know do. So did you reach out to this journalist to tell him that he was wrong? (laughs) I didn't, (laughs) but I found out that Captain Nyman called them. Uh Uh-oh. And all he told me was that and he did get to talk to the reporter, but apparently he talked to the the editor, someone there, and he was kind of like, oh, okay, well, thank you for bringing that to our attention. So if you go to the website now, it's still up. The Mm. story's still there. But here's the funny thing. You just played the clip of Ed Lascos. Almost every, I think pretty much every television station in town ran with the story. Well, yeah, because when a think tank or an aggregate comes out and says these are the numbers, usually believe them. I know. And so what's the takeaway? The takeaway is... Trust no one. Except KFI. And don't run that yellow. I think we were the only (laughs) station in town that didn't do the story. Now, let me say this in defense of of TV um, assignment editors. If you get a story about bad traffic or traffic accidents or the most dangerous intersection... The goal is to have your reporter out there when there's a crash in the intersection, isn't it? I mean, they're all rolling the dice, hoping for that one lottery-winning shot, where as Ed Laskos is talking about more, you know, the sirens and the lights and the paramedics called to this intersection more than any other, and then immediately behind him, a T-bone accident right in the middle of the well, intersection. of course, yeah. Like, That'd be a golden mic. Like Bruce Almighty. Stop it. <laughs> like Bruce Almighty. Um, but here's the thing. 
I asked Captain Nyman, I said, so how many stations or outlets reached out to you for comment on this? And he goes, one, but they never called back. <laughs> so now back to your point with the assignment desk. Okay, great. Yeah, let's do the story, whatever. But wouldn't you think you want to talk to a cop about what the cop, the traffic cop's perspective is on this? Or, you know, because I heard one story. I saw one of the stories where they talked to a neighbor of the intersection. What do you think? Oh, this is horrible. This is a horrible, horrible neighbor. Yeah. So you're like. <laughs> well, at least you'd go to the cops and say, hey, do you have any plans on what to do about this intersection? Right. And right? Then, then that yeah. reporter would have been told. You know, this story is a little misleading. Yeah. And then they would have been doing the story that I'm doing. Can mm. we talk about porn in libraries when we come back? Or do you have anything on that yet? Well, um, all I can tell you is that I have reached out to a director of adult films and um, someone who acts in them. And I'm trying to find out. My, the angle I'm taking is what is the the desire? Why, why do you want it's to It's because sports? homeless people. I did this story. I was just telling Mackenzie like years ago about how libraries in the city are a hotbed for people to come in and look at porn because they're homeless and they don't have computers at home. And this is their, like their only access. Well, no, I thought we were talking about filming the porn. Oh, that's, that's the story. The story? Yeah, yeah, they were filming sex acts in the library for adult films. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You'd think you could just do that anywhere at else? your home with a bookshelf. <laughs> Uh, and, and it's books. the exhibitionist nature that they want to do it in a place that's supposed to be dangerous, I suppose. Are they making the actors appear to be homeless? In <laughs> I don't think there's any homeless element to this. I don't think there's any homeless porn in, at all in this particular case. Yeah. But now we know what Shannon's looking for. But now we know what a fetish Shannon's looking at. Easy. I, I, all I was going to tell you is that apparently, do you remember then there was the porn that was filmed with the fire trucks, the L.A. City fire truck was yes, down on Venice Beach. I do remember and the girls that. were crawling all over it and taking their shirts off and stuff like that. And the firefighters were all in the background laughing. Right. And they got in trouble. And then the cop car down in Hollywood Division, the L.A. DOT officer, they, they, for some reason, all of these landmarks and props are big attractions for adult films. And I'm working on that now. So I don't really have much more than that. All right. We'll talk about the DA's race. Then. Bye, guys. Come back. Gary, much more tame. Gary and Shannon will continue. <laughs> KFI AM 640, live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. Asian American businesses in major U.S. cities now saying they're seeing a remarkable decline in customers about fears over the coronavirus that originated in China. There are just 15 cases diagnosed in all of the United States. FYI. Well, I wonder if that, well, it's... Some business owners say they've seen their customer traffic cut in more than half. Oh, I saw finally saw somebody wearing a mask here, not in the building, but right outside the building yesterday. One of those, not just the normal paper mask, but I mean a full-on, looked like Bane from the Dark Knight mask. Oh, wow. Full strap around his head and everything. Oh. Everybody's got to feel safe, I suppose. The president has... Uh, Issued a spree of clemency decisions today. Uh, he commuted the sentence of former Democratic Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. Blagojevich was accused of selling or trying to sell Barack Obama's Senate seat when uh, Obama was elected president. He also granted clemency to Michael Milken, 
uh, pleaded guilty for violating U.S. securities fraud, uh, pardoned New York City Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick. He gave a full pardon to former 49ers owner Eddie DeBartolo Jr., convicted of failing to report a bribe to the former governor of Louisiana when he pleaded guilty back in 1998. Well, the L.A. Times is pimping hard for a public defender to take over the L.A. County D.A.'s office, which means the L.A. Times is pimping hard mm-hmm. for criminals' rights as opposed to the rights of victims or people that would not even be victims had there been this. Had there not been this crazy place we find ourselves in in California where public defenders are taking over district attorney's offices. We saw it happen in San Francisco, and now they're trying to do it here in Los Angeles. And the I got an alert on my phone today. It was uh, the front page of the LA Times, this big article about Kamala Harris and endorsing George Gascon over Jackie Lacey. And her quote is this, as DA of San Francisco, George led fights to reform the three strikes law decrease the state prison population and get people convicted of nonviolent offenses, <laughs> offenses, greater opportunities to get their lives back on track. You know what There's... those three things are? Those are things that the public defender's office should be doing, not the district attorney's office. I understand if you want to do good work as a public defender, you're a true believer. You want to decrease the prison, uh, prison population. You're going to lobby to figure out how to do that. All of that, you want to get people's sentences deferred. Great. I I believe in that work. But I also believe in the work of a district attorney's office who's looking out for law-abiding people. Right. Yeah. The the statement from Kamala Harris, which is surprising, had she still been running for president, I could see that being her statement. One of the criticisms was when she was the DA in San Francisco and when she was the attorney general for the state of California – that she was too tough on crime. Again, right. as a prosecutor being described as too tough on crime, I could see her pulling back and suggesting that George, first name basis, I'm sure, led the fights for the three strikes and decreasing prison population, et cetera. But to give you an idea of how bad the L.A. Times has a boner for George Gascon, just listen to the way they describe Jackie Lacey as a prosecutor. Um, Later in the story, although Lacey has made strides in the way her office interacts with mentally ill defendants, comma, she still carries the reputation of a traditional tough on crime prosecutor. They're using that as as a a slang. As a knock on her. Yeah, they're using that to try to slander her as a district attorney by saying she's a tough on crime prosecutor. That's what you want. want. Exactly. Uh, That is not a knock. They said uh, that that Lacey has refused to engage in any more public debates after the one last month, after demonstrators caused a ruckus at the event, a decision that has drawn significant criticism. I don't see any criticism. The only place I saw criticism was in the L.A. freaking times. You know, don't if it's one thing, if you have a boner for George Gascon and letting criminals be free, L.A. Mm. Times, it's another if you're straight up lying in your stories. This isn't an op ed piece. This is. This is an article that's supposed to be completely objective, and it's not, and it's got bad information in it. The LA Times is lying to you. The other story, uh, the other line in this story that took me by surprise was Gascon and Rossi have both staked out to positions to Jackie Lacey's left, saying, here's the quote, they can maintain public safety while reducing the number of people incarcerated in the county's massive jail system. How about this? How about we take a look at maintaining public safety, like 
we're okay with the status quo and we're going to allow people to get out of the county jail system. What if you say to yourself, you know what, there are times where I walk through different parts of L.A. County or I drive through different parts of L.A. County and I don't want to get out of my car. I don't feel safe. Maintaining public safety is saying the status quo is perfectly fine with me. And we're going to allow people to get out of the county jail system. So unless one of the three candidates earns more than 50 percent of the vote on March 3rd, they will have a runoff in November between the top two finishers. So turn out for Jackie Lacey because this guy's a disaster. You know, he's the one who wrote Prop 47. He's the one that wanted to reclassify all of these crimes as as nothing crimes because uh, he doesn't care about your family and your kids. All right. Uh, the latest on the Robert Durst case. How are we coming on that? This court whole court's out of order thing. Blake, did you even tell him? Yeah, we're working on it. It's in the folder. What's the folder called? Efforting. Efforting folder. Oh, okay. What are you guys talking about? Ah, uh, Blake! Gary and Shannon. And the Robert Durst trial kicks off tomorrow. Jury selection begins. Hell of a story to unpack for you on this True Crime Tuesday. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Looks like the Dow is down about 159. Stock slipped early trading today after Apple became the most well-known company to warn of a financial hit from this uh, coronavirus. They say uh, they will be falling short of revenue forecasts in the first quarter because of production problems and weak demand in China. So tech stocks led the selling this morning. At the bottom of uh, next hour, we'll get into Swamp Watch. We have been watching uh, the president made some comments before he boarded Air Force One, and he's headed out here to California. Among other things, uh, some commutations and some pardons. We'll talk about who it is, some of these very high-profile names uh, who will be getting out of jail or have their records expunged because of all of this. Billionaire, eccentric, New York City millionaire is going to trial this week in Los Angeles. Robert Durst is his name. God bless you. Thank you. That's not a sign. Okay. I'm pretty sure. He is facing a murder trial of his best friend here in Los Angeles. Robert Durst came back onto the scene in 2015. He had agreed against the advice of his lawyers to sit with HBO. They were working on a documentary called The Jinx, and it was based on Robert Durst's life and the deaths surrounding Robert Durst's life. And so he sat and did all these interviews and these interviews and the documentary may have been his undoing. I don't understand the the mentality of somebody like this. I mean, this guy is a weirdo to begin with, right? We saw that when you watched any of the episodes of, of The Jinx, you see it in any of the interviews he's ever done. And just reading some of the comments that the guy made, 
it's hard for me to wrap my head around a mentality that he believes he's going to get away with everything that he's done. Well, let's go back to the beginning then, shall we? Because he comes from one of those rich families that just breeds entitlement problems. He was the first son of Seymour Durst. This was the head of one of New York's oldest and wealthiest real estate companies called the Durst Organization. And he had a happy childhood, as was documented in said documentary, until about seven when his mom, Bernice, fell from the roof of the family's home. Now, he depicted it as a suicide, but at the time it was officially labeled an accident. And then after that, his problems began, as you can imagine, ran away from school all the time, felt like he didn't fit in. Uh, He went to UCLA 1965 and became friends with Susan Berman. She comes up later in the story. But just to keep that in mind, um, she was a the daughter, I guess, of a Las Vegas mob boss. At this point, Robert Durst goes through a phase. He grows his hair long. He gets into the pot. He is anti-corporate culture that his father was so entrenched in. And around 1972, moves to Vermont with a woman, Kathleen McCormack, a dental hygienist. They're going to run a health food store. They get married. He returns to New York in 74 to work in that corporate Durst organization because of all of the pressure from his father. They they go out and party. Robert and uh, and Kathy Durst end up living the glamorous life club studio 54 xenon mom never liked him by the way kathy's mom kathleen's mother always thought he was an oddball it sounds like it uh said he couldn't bear to talk about uh, or hear about canning the new england lifestyle articles that she would read in yankee magazine those experiences with her family were kind of bob meets the average american family that's what one of the uh the documentary filmmakers said and durst said it's more than meets and he then, again, this is his indication of crazy. Right. Stop speaking in third person. He yeah. says, Bob is forced to spend time with the average American family. Bob is supposed to be polite and cooperative and pleasant and engage in the same conversations as they are. And I just can't do that. Because he feels better than everybody, right? right? He feels better than the average American family. Okay, so by 1982, both Robert and Kathleen are having affairs. And they're fighting over a divorce settlement. And she's in her fourth year at college and she goes to a friend's party and she returns to eat dinner with Robert Durst. He says after dinner, she got on a train to New York to sleep in the Manhattan apartment before a class the next day. But investigators say they don't think she ever got on that train. A woman saying she was Kathleen Durst called the medical school dean the next morning to say she was sick and going to miss class. Now, it looks like that wasn't Kathleen. It looks like Kathleen was already dead and that the woman who called was, remember, Susan Berman, the friend that Robert met at UCLA back in the 60s, the daughter of the mob boss. Remember, this is way back in 1982 that this went on. And despite the national headlines about whatever happened to Kathleen Durst. People didn't really care about missing women back then. And it it never, nothing was ever solved, at least not for, what would that be, 28 years? It was 2000, November of 2000, when Robert Durst learned that New York investigators had reopened the case based on some new leads. 
He said in the jinx that that realization, he said it blew me away. By this time, in November of 2000, he had left the family business in New York. Uh, He was living in a home in New York as well as in Trinidad, California, which is just north of Eureka. And as he recalled in the documentary, Berman, his friend, Susan Berman, who was a struggling crime writer at the time, told him on the phone, hey, the LAPD contacted me. They want to talk about your wife's disappearance. (laughs) Well, uh, soon after that, Susan Berman ends up lying face down, uh, bare bones cottage, shot in the back of the head. No sign of any break in or robbery. On December 27th, the assistant chief of the Beverly Hills PD received a letter that there was a cadaver at Susan Berman's house. It had been postmarked December 23rd, the day before her corpse was actually discovered. At this point, Robert Durst took off. When we come back, we'll tell you the rest of the story. Also, how his comments that he said in that documentary may be his undoing at his trial in Los Angeles. It starts tomorrow. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Today begins jury selection for the Robert Durst case. Where we left you off, and Robert Durst's story is he was uh, newly married. Uh, He and his wife began having uh, affairs, and then she turned up uh, missing. Missing. That was back in 1982. In the background has been this woman who's been his best friend since college, since he was at UCLA. And her name is Susan Berman, who seems to have helped him cover up his first wife's disappearance. LAPD reopens the case, uh, or at least some detectives from LAPD were going to interview Susan Berman about the, the case of Katie Durst, who had disappeared in 82. And soon after, she tells Robert Durst, hey, the cops called me. She shows up dead. So Robert Turst, feeling the pressure probably, takes off and he goes to Galveston, Texas, and he rents a rundown $300 a month apartment in the name of a woman. Dorothy Siner is who he decided to go by. His high school girlfriend's name. And he presented himself as a mute so he didn't have to try to fake a female voice. I, rem- I remember, too, a detail this time as he even put on a wig. Oh, yeah. Uh, the he whole went bit. and bought a handbag from Walmart and everything. Now, his neighbor across the hall was named Morris Black, a grouchy guy in his 70s. But they became friends because, well, they're both odd. And then he decided that he would just drop the disguise. He wasn't going to go by Dorothy anymore. Well, Morris Black also turned up dead. Yeah, his body parts were found floating in trash bags in Galveston Bay. And investigators learned that there was a mute woman lived across from Morris Black. They searched the mute woman's apartment, which is Robert Durst's apartment. They find blood under the linoleum that matches Morris Black. He was arrested for that murder. Now, in the weirdest thing... um, he testifies that he found Morris Black in his home in one afternoon in September holding a gun, threatening him. He fought with the guy to get a hold of the gun. They both fell. The gun accidentally shoots Black in the head. And if you remember this from the jinx uh, where he says, I didn't actually kill him. 
right? He did, I didn't kill him. I did not kill my best friend. I did dismember him. But I did dismember him. Huh. Okay. Teenage fisherman found a human torso in the water. Crime scene investigators noted that one of the bags had been ripped open. It appears that Robert Durst took his friend's head. He was acquitted, you guys, because he comes across as so honest. He was acquitted of that murder, even despite telling jurors that he did dismember the body. Now, remember, he's being interviewed uh, for this HBO show, The Jinx. And if you remember when Susan Berman showed up dead in Benedict Canyon, Somebody sent a letter to the Beverly Hills Police Department misspelling the word Beverly. They threw an extra E in there, L-E-Y. While Robert Durst was defending himself for the interviews, an adopted son found a letter from 1999 from Robert Durst to Susan Berman with the same misspelling. The same B-E-L-E-Y, Beverly Hills, and the same handwriting as the cadaver note, they're calling it. So there was a follow-up interview where Robert Durst was asked about this. Can you explain this? You wrote the police the the same letter that uh, led them to the body of your friend Susan Berman. And normally he's unflappable. Like we said, he comes across very honest, but he he began burping, (laughs) uh, pinching his earlobe, covering his face. Before just claiming he did not write the cadaver note. And do you remember when he when they finished? Goes to the bathroom. Yeah, he goes to the bath, bathroom, but the microphone is still on. There it is. You're caught. The hell there, Killed them all. Of course. I killed them all, of course, he says, while he's muttering to himself in the bathroom. Now, they arrested Robert Durst the day before the final episode of The Jinx aired. And he admitted that he was getting ready to leave the country. This is one of the weirdest guys to have ever gone on trial in one of the weirdest string of crimes I think we've ever seen. And that it went on as long as it did. I mean, if you're talking about from from 1982 till today. I don't think he's going to be able to help himself from testifying. I think he is going to definitely want to testify, but he won't despite the advice from his attorneys. There'll be a whole to do about uh your honor, we have told our client we do not want him to testify. We don't think it's going to be his best interest. But this prosecutor's interviewed him before, John Lewin, and has pressed him on things before. He's a cold case prosecutor who has been all over this case, and it's going to be quite the show between this prosecutor and the fancy team of Houston attorneys that Robert Durst has hired to defend him. And I don't know how they can defend him considering his own words. I killed them all. Yeah. (laughs) Good. uh, Well, I guess it's good. Fun to observe crazy at a slight distance, perhaps. Yes. We'll come back. We'll do all of our trending stories coming up on Gary and Shannon. KMOX 
KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app on this Tuesday. It's February 18th. So this Astros fallout continues. You know, the uh, the punishment was a non-punishment by the commissioner. They were fined $5 million by Major League Baseball for this sign-stealing scheme. Now there's a fan that's suing the Astros. guy by the name of Adam Wallach. He's a season ticket holder. And he sued the Astros for what he alleges are violations of the state's Deceptive Trade Practices and Consumer Protection Act. It alleges that the Astros cheated not only the sport in particular, but their fans by deceptively overcharging them for season tickets while knowingly and surreptitiously engaged in a sign-stealing scheme in violation of the rules. That in doing so, the Astros secretly put a deficient product on the field. So they want money back from ticket prices from 2017 to 2020. Wow. Because they charged more because they were winning more. An interesting class action argument. Yeah, it would be. All right, what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Before the president boarded Air Force One on his way out here to California today, made some comments. Uh, He has commuted the sentence of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. Now, Blagojevich is a Democrat who was convicted nine years ago uh, of 17 different counts, including attempting to sell Barack Obama's Senate seat after Obama was elected president. The two may have a personal connection. I mean, Rob uh, Blagojevich was on Celebrity Apprentice a handful of years ago where Donald Trump fired him and now today has pardoned him. Uh, A couple other people, Michael Milken has been uh, pardoned, Bernie Carrick has been pardoned, and... Eddie D. Eddie DeBartolo Jr., the former 49ers owner. He owned the Niners during the 80s and 90s when they won five Super Bowls. He has been described as the 12th man by people like Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice was there today, Jim Brown was there, Ronnie Lott, Charles Haley, and... If you know anything about the 49ers in the 80s and the 90s, you know that Eddie D pulled a lot of strings and everything was first class for those teams. He was definitely one of the reasons they had such success. Why were those guys at the White House today? They were celebrating the Eddie D pardon. That's what it was. No. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, because so Jerry Rice spoke at the ceremony. Got it. Okay, I yeah. see. I thought they just happened to be there and they said, what a great time for us to also announce this. Yeah. Well, it makes more sense that way. Uh, The crash that ended the Daytona 500, pretty scary crash. They're saying that uh, Ryan Newman, uh, one of the drivers who was involved there, is now in serious condition. I can't believe it's just serious condition. If you saw footage of that crash, it did not look like anyone was going to be getting out of that car alive. Um, I did. Did you see the president retweeted the version, the. The crash footage? No. It was something like you didn't think it would go all this way without a big one or something like that. And then it was the crash, and it was, like, breathtaking how ridiculously violent the crash was. So I was wondering that when I was watching the footage, because I'm not a NASCAR person. It's just kind of been a blind spot for me. If that's one of the things that that you look for, that you look for or one of the reasons why you watch, because it seems like there's always going to be a spectacular crash, doesn't it? Rubbin's racing. No. Oh, my goodness. Uh, NASCAR did tweet that uh, a statement or retweeted a statement on the status of Roush Fenway racing driver Ryan Newman. They said he's being treated at Halifax Medical Center. Serious condition, but they said the injuries are not life-threatening. Aubrey Huff is in the news. Aubrey Huff, which was who was part of the 2010 World Series San Francisco Giant Championship team. 
He has not been invited to the team's reunion because of some tweets. Uh, What do you think about this? I mean, he did tweet at one point that we should go to Iran and kidnap women uh, and bring them back so that they can uh, serve us grapes. Fan us, feed us grapes, amongst other things. Uh, he says that these that he's just joking. He's sarcastic. He doesn't mean it. He's very uh, big supporter of President Trump. And the Giants just said you're uninvited because of values that are not in line with our organization. That stuff is probably not what got him in trouble. The stuff that got him in trouble was the coach that the Giants hired this year, former um, huge softball player who is now uh, an actual coach, won't be on the field or in the dugout, but has been working out with them in spring training. And he wrote, I couldn't imagine taking baseball instruction from an ex-female softball player. Have fun with that. And then tags a couple of players. And he went on to live to, uh, to tweet, we live in a nuts world. We need men with balls to stand up to this oh, bull ass. Boy. That's, that's what's going to yeah, get in trouble. Yeah, that's what's going to do it. Not, not, not the other politics, stuff. yeah. Although, well, anyway. San Francisco. I don't like this Boy Scout story I keep saying everywhere. Well, Boy Scouts have officially filed for bankruptcy protection. Uh, former Scouts' legal claims of past sexual abuse continue to go up. They've filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in Delaware, and they have billions of dollars worth of properties and, and assets for the organization. The payouts, I think, that they're looking at are much less than that. Some were still in the hundreds of millions of dollars, but they'll have to liquidate some of their properties in order to pay off some of these uh, settlements. Because cases are just mounting. Yeah. Uh, California's law AB 2018 that took effect in January opens a three-year look-back window for victims to sue for damages on claims that previously were barred by statutes of limitation. And it also relaxes age restrictions on filing claims so victims have until age 40 or five years after they become aware of injury caused by the abuse. So you can understand why the claims are mounting. And then finally, this is a strange story out of Colorado. A 46-year-old man from New Jersey died at uh, Vail Mountain on a chairlift. I'm terrified of chairlifts. They always terrify me. I don't trust those damn things. This guy boarded the Skyline Express lift on chair number 37 in the Blue Sky Basin. Everybody knows what that one is, right? It's ringing a bell yet? Yeah, oh, sure. Uh, he fell through an opening in the seat. And However, his jacket got caught. Right. And it strangled him. Dead. And he's just hanging there. His, his chair my, was still in the upright position. That caused him to fall through the seat when he sat down. My first thought was this is something that would happen to Nick. Oh, no, I don't think Nick would pass away. No, I don't think he would pass away, but I could but see him falling through some a, sort of chairlift yeah. incident. And I'm just hanging from it till I get to the top? Yeah. And then they just let me go through and I go yeah, back down I, and I feel then like I'm just you, hanging there in a continuous Nick, loop? I, I feel like you would hang upside down. Like it would somehow catch a foot or your shoestring or something. Probably. You'd be hanging upside down and then you'd you'd like... Bang every tower with your yeah. forehead as you went by up on the ski slope. It, like bong. like a cartoon character. Yeah. If y'all haven't seen Nick's bruises from his weekend mountain biking trip, they're still on our Instagram page at Gary and Shannon. Hmm. Go check those out. Yeah, before Instagram takes them down. How injury prone he is. Yeah, because they are kind of nudes.
There's an inner thigh picture. Technically, they're nude. Yeah, yeah. you're right. No, it's all skin. I'm pretty sure you were covered. I'm just trying to get people to go to the Instagram page. Okay, then give let's us a follow. Full nudes. Nick's full nudes I didn't, on I didn't our go Instagram that far. page. It is well, tantalizing. No, it's not. When oh, we come back, uh, an update Thanks, on coronavirus guys. stuff, what's going on, and why the, uh, why the <laughs> Americans were taken off of the cruise ship quarantine slash incubation pod for coronavirus. I can't wait. Gary and Shannon, you've been sneezing a lot today. Too. One time. I just that's a lot. One time. In these, hey, times, in these dark times, that's a lot. Okay. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. At the bottom of this hour, Swamp Watch. We'll talk about the president, his trip out here to Los Angeles. He's expected to land about three hours from now, a little later than that, three and a half hours or so. We'll talk about the commutations and the pardons that he announced. The bottom of next hour, Tasty Tuesday, Neil Savage is going to join us to talk about some food stuff. And at 1 o'clock... We have a celebrity. Yeah, we're expecting a stand-up comedian... Actor, author, producer, voice, character, actor, T.J. Miller is going to be here. I need so. to get back into Silicon Valley. <laughs> I started it and then kind of set it aside for something, and I need to get back into it. That's a great show. Did you hear? Uh, I had not seen this before. Did you hear about the health scare that he had where he thought he was going to die? Yeah, and then he had to have, like, brain surgery with, like, a 10% chance that he wouldn't make it. I had never heard that story I before. also hadn't heard of when he got in trouble for uh, claiming a bomb in an airport oh. or that Uber driver assault. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there. Everyone's, ha- yeah. we've all I got there. in trouble once for saying I was not a terrorist at an airport. So for, for saying you were not? Yeah. Were you saying it with your finger in someone's chest? I am I was not saying, a terrorist. I was saying it to my girlfriend, like, come on, I'm not a terrorist. Oh, why are you, you know, for secondary screening or something like that? Jeez. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> listen, I, I make some decisions in my life so that you don't have to make the same ones. Mm. Guys, don't yeah. claim you are not. Don't just don't say the word terrorist at the airport. You could say I'm not a bad guy or a bad girl, right? Yeah. That sounds weird. I'm not a bad girl. Yes, stick with terrorists. Yeah. Stick with terrorists. Uh, okay, so the coronavirus update, COVID-19, pangolin flu, bat fever, whatever you want to call it, 73,000 confirmed cases around the world, about 1,900 deaths. There are 29 cases now in the United States when you count in the people who were brought off of that cruise ship and flown back into the United States a couple of days ago. Now, uh, there were questions. We talked yesterday. We played for you. Uh, part of Jerry Goldman's uh, sort of online diary was a Facebook Live broadcast that she had done yesterday about she and her husband, Carl. They're the ones from Santa Clarita that came back to the United States. But instead of staying at Travis Air Force Base up in Northern California, they were flown on to uh, Nebraska in Omaha. Now, here's a reason. I had not heard this before. About 20 years ago, a few doctors, public health experts, officials realized that almost nobody was was meeting a national need for a specialized care unit to deal specifically with airborne diseases, 
uh, potentially dangerous airborne diseases like a virus like uh, coronavirus. So they built the nation's largest biocontainment unit and quarantine facility, and they've been housing those people that came in from Japan. Sixty more people potentially exposed to the virus are in quarantine at a Nebraska National Guard base, which is also very close to the biocontainment unit at uh, Nebraska Medical Unit. So it's so funny because I was wondering why Nebraska. Yeah, um, I hadn't heard that, but but now we know it's the it's the nation's largest biocontainment unit. And that, listen, there's no place I'd rather be. The Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention has put the overall death rate for the virus at 2.3 percent. Now, to put that in perspective, the season's flu death rate in the United States is about 0.1 percent. And you know how bad the death rate is when it comes to the flu. It's killed twelve up to 12,000 people. According to the U.N., he says that the virus outbreak is a very dangerous situation, but so far is not out of control. If if you've got 150 <laughs> million people in China locked down, right, which is half the population of this country, that is out of control. Well, maybe maybe he's saying if if you're China, this thing is crazy and out of control, and we're doing everything we we can to stop it. But he's maybe taking a step back and looking at it worldwide. He said. His greatest worry was a spread of the virus to areas with less capacity in their health service. Um, Like, oh, I don't know, Skid Row. Uh, The outbreak has infected 73,000, like I said. Uh, Travel to and from the worst hit central region in China has been associated with the initial cases of COVID-19 that were confirmed abroad. But they're saying that Japan, Singapore, and South Korea have all identified new cases without any clear ties to China or previously known patients, which has raised concern that this thing has been spreading locally, which means that contact tracing that they talk about, where were you, who did you uh, sit next to on the plane or train or wherever you were, that that's not enough, that for some reason this thing travels in ways that we may not have seen before, or at least not we're not used to when it comes to the way viruses are traditionally um, traditionally transferred between people. We're up to 542 cases of the virus identified on that Diamond Princess cruise ship that was docked in Japan. And now they're talking about, well, the quarantine on the ship failed. Well, of course it did. There was a doctor from the East Coast Uh, He and his wife were on board, and he says, I was surprised I tested negative because I knew the virus had swept through the boat like wildfire. He says, my analogy is they put us in a Petri dish to get us infected. Because that's the thing. It's not a – they weren't quarantined uh, very well when you have all of those – air ducts and everything well, they, shared and, and and they just didn't want those people off that boat. Yeah, if you're if you're the Japanese health uh officials, you want them quarantined away from the exactly. mainland. Exactly. It wasn't for their benefit. Yeah. It was for the benefit of all the other people. It's for the benefit of Japan as a country, yeah. not anybody on that ship. And right. that's proven that that's gone through. Now, speaking of quarantines, it looks like today we will see 160 people leave Marine Corps Air Station Miramar. Remember, that was one of the first places that people were brought in from the Wuhan area in China were taken so that they could sit in quarantine for 14 days. The two-week thing, here's, here's a frustrating and potentially dangerous idea. 
officials believe two weeks is the incubation period for coronavirus. But for they COVID-19. don't know for sure. They believe. They still don't know how it's spreading completely. There's still a lot of questions in the scientific community, which terrifies me. Um Turning to the business angle of this, Apple's market capitalization falling nearly $30 billion this day because the company announced it would not meet projections for this quarter because of the coronavirus. The stock was down 2% at times today. Company warning investors that the outbreak has led to disruptions in both supply and demand. Many of its tech products are made in China, as you know. Microsoft moved ahead of Apple today in terms of most valuable companies. All right, when we come back, we'll jump into Swamp Watch. The president's on his way to L.A. We'll talk about his schedule today and also take a look at uh, how things are going on the campaign trail now that Michael Bloomberg is going to be in the debate tomorrow night in Nevada. Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The president is headed to Los Angeles. That's where we begin our Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. It is a rare visit to Los Angeles, which is covered with Democrats. There's going to be about a four-hour visit for the president to meet with organizers of the 2028 Olympic Games. He's going to attend some fundraising events in Beverly Hills as well. There will be a roundtable discussion with supporters. He'll speak at that fundraising dinner. Then he'll head to Vegas where he's set to speak at a graduation event for a prisoner education program. Really? That's odd. Um, the uh, the visit to Rancho Mirage is going to be interesting uh, with Larry Ellison, uh, Oracle co-founder, because already there have been people protesting, people who work for Oracle protesting what their boss does with his own damn money. Do you think you're, uh, the CEO of this corporation would care what you said about how he spends his money? No. I don't think so. Uh, tickets for the appearance in Rancho Mirage, $100,000 for a photo opportunity and golf outing for two, up to a quarter million dollars for a roundtable discussion, photo opportunity, and golf outing for two. He's also going to go to Bakersfield to see Kevin McCarthy. And this is going to be at a forum to speak with farmers about the uh, efforts to improve supply and delivery of water in California. Speaking of farmers, Mm -hmm. did you hear what Michael Bloomberg said? Oh, my gosh. About farmers and farming? Um, Just tone deaf in terms of his ability to reach people who he needs to reach if he wants to become the president. I mean, when you're talking about farmers and belittling farmers, you're belittling a lot of people in this country. Well, and he said something to the effect of, 
I can teach anyone to be a farmer. You dig a hole in the dirt, you put a seed, and then you cover it up with uh, more dirt and you water it. Anybody, even people in this room, so no offense intended, to to be a farmer. No offense intended. It's a process. You dig a hole, you put a seed in, you put dirt on top, add water, up comes the corn. Then we had 300, you could learn that. Then then, um, you had 300 years of the industrial society. Okay. And he goes after people that work in the industrial society. Right. The people who manufacture things in factories, et cetera, and talks about how... That's exactly. But this, hold on a second. This is exactly the problem that Hillary Clinton had lack when she perspe- was running. Yeah. Yes, lack of perspective and not knowing everyday Americans and what they are into and what they do. You sound like that a hole New Yorker that's so out of touch with every other person in the country. Yeah. And listen, I'm not saying that I think Donald Trump has a you know uh, has the no, space cornered can, when it comes to farming. But he can play the role better. He That's can pretend to care about farmers. And and the idea that Michael Bloomberg would now be a guy who has risen in the ranks so fast. I mean, there was a poll that CNN was showing earlier today that has uh, Bernie Sanders somewhere. This again, it's a national poll, so it's not necessarily as reliable. But just in terms of popularity, Bernie Sanders somewhere around thirty percent. And Michael Bloomberg coming in at 20% in second place. He also had some comments from 2011 where he talked about the enormous cohort of black and Latino males aged 16 to 25 who don't have any prospects. They don't know how to find jobs, he said. They don't know how to behave in the workplace. Uh-oh. This was a guy who was all in with the stop and frisk policy in New York, which, of course, unfairly targets people of color. Uh, and has since apologized for pushing the policy. Yeah, saying that that's, you know... It, because it, that's not popular when you're running for president. It didn't work out the way he wanted it to or something, some BS like that, even though it's ex- it, the result was exactly what he was looking for, which was trying to reduce crime numbers, and that's what he got as a result of it. So now it's not just women that he's gone after. It's minorities... It's farmers. Well, the guy has the guy uh, clearly has baggage. I mean, yeah. that's clear. That doesn't mean that he can't be president. Will it matter? You know, that's the question, I guess. What I want to know is how he prepares for the debate, because tomorrow night's debate in in Vegas, it's a NPR PBS NewsHour. Uh, I believe it is. That's going to be hosting all of this. Oh, sorry. It's N- NBC, along with a Nevada independent hosting this one in Vegas. And moderators that you know lester holt holly jackson john ralston chuck todd the um it's going to be at the paris i didn't realize that it's going to be at the paris las vegas uh these candidates before they get up in these debates will practice incessantly their talking points right and they'll have staff members throw questions at them and depending on how advanced their their um preparation is they may have people within their campaign acting like the other candidates who are going to be on that stage, right? So if you're sure. Pete Buttigieg, you got the old guy with gray hair who's going to uh, pretend to be either Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders, maybe both. You got somebody pretending to be Michael Bloomberg, so on and so forth. If you're Michael Bloomberg, uh, all you do to prepare him for that debate is, I mean, he's got his talking points, he's got all these things. You have him practice his answers on what did you mean when you said, Black and Latino males age 16 to 25 don't have any prospects. They don't know how to behave in the workplace. What did you say when you – what did you mean when you told the pregnant woman to kill it? What did you mean when you said there's a lot of ladies out there I'd like to – the F word. 
those are the things that he's going to have to answer tomorrow night on that debate stage because he's a target now. Right. The poll released today shows Bernie Sanders leading in Nevada, excuse me, in the nation, 31 percent support and then Bloomberg at 19 percent and then Biden at 15 percent. So those are your top three. And then Warren, Klobuchar and Buttigieg down there coming in fifth. And is there no one, even if you support Michael Bloomberg at this point, wasn't one of your criticisms, you Bloomberg supporter, wasn't one of your criticisms that you didn't think billionaires should be allowed to buy the presidency? That's exactly what he's doing. Can Nobody can tell me anything about Michael Bloomberg's policies, his stance on big issues. And granted, it's because he hasn't been in a debate, you know, a nationally televised debate to get some of that information out there. But those polls, that national poll is dealing, it sounds like, with nothing more than name recognition. And because he's dropped, what is it, $140 million or something ridiculous on advertising? I think it's like 400 now. Jeez. It's insane. I saw a refreshed number this morning. I'll look for it during the break. Um, Also, Bernie Sanders is going full speed ahead after Michael Bloomberg. We'll tell you about his verbal attacks at a rally in the Bay Area when we come back. (laughs) Gary and Shannon will continue with Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon. What? What was the update? Oh, he's running a couple minutes later. Oh, okay. Uh, Tasty Tuesday is coming up at the bottom of next hour. We updated you on the uh, coronavirus update. The numbers, 73,000 plus confirmed cases around the the world. 1,900 deaths. And now, if you count the people that were brought off of the... Uh, the cruise ship in Japan and brought back to the United States. We now have 29 cases here in the United States. We're talking about what's going on in uh, Washington, D.C. And the president, right before he jumped on to Air Force One to come on out to California, talked about the pardons and the commutations that uh, that he gave, including Rod Blagojevich, hard to say, the Longtime governor of Illinois. And Eddie D, the and pride of the 49ers through the 80s and 90s. He was the owner when they won five championships. Uh, Michael Milken, the 80s junk bond king, former New York City police commissioner Bernie Carrick. They were all uh, pardoned. And I, I, technically, they, this led to an obvious question. Wait a minute. Roger Stone is the guy that you've been talking about most lately, even though he won't be sentenced until Thursday. Are you planning on pardoning Roger Stone? I haven't given it any thought. In the meantime, he's going through a process, but I think he's been treated very unfairly. Now, that prompted, I haven't given it any thought. I haven't got any thought. Now, remember, that prompted the Attorney General, William Barr, to suggest the president stop tweeting about the Department of Justice, about ongoing cases and investigations, about judges who are overseeing those cases. The president doesn't listen to anybody, though. No. Give me a break. Uh, he said at one point that he is still the chief law enforcement officer of, this, of the country, which is technically not 
true, although he is the boss of the top law enforcement officer in the country. I do make his job harder. I do agree with that. I think that's true. He's a very straight shooter. We have a great attorney general, and he's working very hard. And he's working against a lot of people that don't want to see good things happen, in my opinion. Now, he talked more about Blagojevich. I'm not even thinking about that. There's a process that people are going through. These are unrelated situations where people have done a great job with very, very strong recommendations. But we haven't thought about that yet. Right now, there's a process. I think Roger Stone's been treated unfairly. I think General Flynn has been treated very unfairly. I think a lot of people have been treated very unfairly. So there you go. Bernie Sanders is going off on Michael Bloomberg. He was at a rally in the Bay Area, and he went after Bloomberg's racist policy on the stop and frisk period uh, uh, when Bloomberg was there in New York. And he said, imagine, he told the crowd, imagine a multi-billionaire opposing a race, a raise in the minimum wage. Imagine a multi-billionaire asking for cuts to Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. So you he's say to Mr. Bloomberg, you are certainly not going to win when you have a record in New York City that included racist policies like stop and frisk. Now, Bloomberg released that video yesterday featuring vulgar online attacks by Sanders supporters, you know, the Bernie bros that have shown that they are quite relentless when it comes to putting down all the other candidates and that that's not the message you know, it shouldn't be negative. We should be coming together as Democrats kind of thing. And it, it got me thinking, too, about Bernie Sanders supporters and how similar they are to President Trump supporters, how they will not listen to the other side when it comes to to rationalizing their positions on things. It's just they only want this candidate and they will only settle for this candidate and they will not vote for anyone else. And in fact, Bernie Sanders supporters One in 10 of Bernie Sanders supporters voted for Trump in 2016. Well, that's only half surprising, I think, because they were so dissatisfied with Hillary Clinton. They were pissed off that that Bernie was railroaded. Yeah. And also, I think, like we were referring to in the last segment, Hillary had this very real perspective problem of not knowing how everyday Americans think, what they struggle with, who they are. And you're seeing that with Bloomberg, too. Bernie Sanders seems like he gets it, like he gets the struggles of the young, of the people that have the college debt, of the people who are dealing with medical problems. He seems like he gets struggles. Michael Bloomberg doesn't get S. He doesn't get he last struggle he had was, uh, you know, when his roles was uh, in back of his other roles and he wanted to drive that roles for the day. And he couldn't get it out of the 19-car garage. I mean, that guy doesn't know a struggle. Well, people want to know that you care about them. It's one of the reasons Trump won. He went into the battleground states and he said, I see that you're struggling. I'm a winner. I'll win for you. Let's go. And that spoke to people. And I think that's going to be a real hurdle for Bloomberg. I wonder if, because knowing his past, the Bloomberg's past, if you compare it to someone, if you compare it to Donald Trump's past, Bloomberg did not grow up in money. But, like, to your point, I think he's been, he hasn't been good at making those connections with people who are working class. Or to use that video that we talked about, the farmers, the people who work in factories. He's not been able to make that connection even though you could argue he started a business from nothing and turned it into a multi-billion dollar enterprise. You know, he's worth 
I don't know, 50, 60 billion dollars by some estimates. That's something to be said. But when you get to that level, do you automatically disconnect from people, especially when you're trying to be the leader of the free world? Yeah. You know, you you start to lose touch with who it is that you're supposed to be representing. I mean, when you're that rich for that long, you don't know the struggle of everyday Americans. You don't know the price of milk. You don't, you don't know, know the, the price, price of, of a loaf of bread. Uh, or a bottle of wine or a 12-pack of beer. Just trying to think of the things I drove by the most. Yeah. Problem. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is going to have a big problem as well going forward. Yes, he has seen a nice bump in the polls because of his performance in the Iowa caucuses. Did you hear he was gay? Who? Pete Buttigieg. I think that's a rumor. But I did see an interview with his husband, which... Anyway, uh, he's going to have a hard time connecting with Latinos, African-Americans. And as we get closer to South Carolina and then, of course, Super Tuesday on March 3rd, that's when we see a lot more of the finger quotes, the diversity vote come out. And according to a state senator, Gerald Malloy, uh, I believe that this is in South Carolina, He says, I've not seen any real support coming from black local officials. Pete has to make the case himself. Older black voters, South Carolina, Nevada. uh, I don't know if they're going to vote for a gay candidate. Joan Houston is uh, 63 years old. She's an African-American minister. She's a social worker in Vegas. She said she just can't support him because of his sexual orientation. She says, I'm against homosexuality. I love everybody, but I'm against that lifestyle. Yeah, I... That is is a hard mentality to overcome. You've said this before. There's just a wide swath of the country that just will not vote for him specifically because he's gay. Right. So awesome. All right. Uh, when we come back, we're expecting. I mean, you don't mean awesome. Awesome. Like, like, like OK, we have something awesome when we come back. Yay. Close minded. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, actor T.J. Miller is on his way over here. and We'll be talking with him very soon. We'll do a quick coronavirus update as well while we're waiting for him. Oh, Try to disinfect the studio. Exciting. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. Look what God gave her. How perfect he made her. She walks in the room. It's like he answered my prayers. The way that she moves. How could anybody blame her? I know she's got haters. But it ain't her fault. Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. Thanks for all my fish stuff, Howard. <laughs> Got a listener that uh, has created some different products, mouse pad, a post-it book. You said you drew these? I drew those fish, yeah. And he was able to put them on a bunch of stuff, magnets and everything. I'm a doodler, you know, I doodle sometimes. Did, did you color those, or did he just take the outline of it? I believe it was just the outline, and he put in the coloring. Did you do the microphone? I did not do the microphone. So he did he the He did that. I just did the fish. you got to take pictures of those. Those are really... Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Um, following a bunch of stories through the course of today, we'll get to coronavirus here in just a second. Water levels are dropping, but more rain is coming for parts of uh, the south. Hard hit central Mississippi right now under a flash flood watch. The National Weather Service that they could see two or more inches of rain coming up. 
uh, through the day today. The Rancho San Antonio County Park, an open space preserve up in Northern California, Cupertino, is closed again today. A six-year-old girl was attacked by a mountain lion while she was walking on a trail. And then the president due in L.A. a couple of hours from now, maybe two and a half hours or so, will be landing at LAX. And then uh, helicopter, we believe, over to Santa Monica before he makes his way into Beverly Hills. He's got a couple of meetings there, one to uh, check on the progress of the Olympics coming up in 2028, and then also a fundraising dinner a little bit later as well. Tasty Tuesday coming up at 1.30 with Neil Saavedra. I heard this several times on my way to work today that the uh, California wine prices are supposed to be the lowest in a long time because there's some sort of surplus of California grapes. So that's right. That's good, right? Right in time for Drink Wine Day. (laughs) Today is Drink Wine Day. National Drink Wine Day. Yeah, that's that's not true. Look at. Wow. You thought I was lying this whole day. I did think you were lying the whole time. Oh. Why would I lie about that? Because just usually you have, if you say it's National Drink Wine Day and you don't have a glass of wine in your hand. I don't. It's a failure, isn't it? It's already one o'clock. I know, but I'm working out today. (laughs) Okay. No one has ever. Had a glass of wine before they worked out. The uh, the story about coronavirus, I think, is most interesting when you look at specifically the Diamond Princess cruise ship. There are uh, some health experts who are saying that the idea of the Japanese health authorities quarantining that ship outside uh, or there at the dock at Yokohama was a giant failure. They say that another 88 people on that giant boat tested positive today. So the total number of infected passengers from the Diamond Princess cruise ship is 542. And think about that. That's the highest number of coronavirus cases outside of China. More than uh, Singapore. Singapore has only 77 cases. Disease experts said that the ship has become a source of infection rather than a safe haven. But again, Japanese health officials weren't trying to protect the people on the ship. No, they were trying to protect all of Japan. Yes. Um, There's a new couple, David and Sally Abel. Their son Steve today was pissed off at the British government for the way they have handled the situation. Um, The couple, this British couple that had tested positive, has now been taken into quarantine on mainland Japan. And I... Again, my understanding is that the majority of people who did test positive were taken off of the boat. Um, Because of the diagnoses for that British couple, they do not get to go on the British evacuation flight that was supposed to take place. Uh, They, I guess, were going to be evacuated like the Americans were, some 340 U.S. citizens, including the couple that we've talked to, Carl and Jerry Goldman, Carl is in the hospital, although they're not saying if he's tested positive. He has Ghislaine Barr syndrome, which makes it hard for him to get around. They said his only symptoms were a little bit feeling faint and shortness of breath. So his which wife is, sounded a little bit worse off than than that. Right, because she had a cough. She had a cough. Although she said she tested negative. Yeah. Um, but again, it's another 14-day quarantine. You know, we don't know what the incubation time is going to be. Now, exactly. the, specifically with the cruise ship, the, the Japanese health minister said that the process of taking everyone off the ship is going to be two or three more days with no more than 500 expected to leave sometime tomorrow, which was technically today right now there. Uh, most, if not all, the people on board that uh, that princess cruise ship are expected to face the longer periods of quarantine after they get off the ship because they have to make sure that they're not infected. As we just saw, the quarantine on the ship was going to end 
tomorrow. It's going to end on the 19th. But the more and more people we have testing positive, it keeps pushing that date back if you were to stay on the ship. Apple lost nearly 2% of its value today. This is now affecting Wall Street. Uh, They're saying that investors are getting spooked out a little bit. Dow was down more than 200 points at times today because, you know, Apple does all of its business, a lot of its business there in China. And they said that they are not going to meet their revenue goals for the first quarter because of this, because a lot of business has just been halted there. Tesla, by the way, looking at Wall Street, Tesla keeps surging. How is that possible? Its stock is above the $850 per share price. Tesla gained 7% today. Its 52-week low price is about $177. So big success story there on Wall Street for Tesla today. But, uh, uh, overall, the same. Dow is down 165 points, about a half a percent, uh, down to 29232 All right, uh, coming back, we're expecting T.J. Miller, stand-up comedian, coming in in a few minutes. And then uh, Tasty Tuesday when we come back at the bottom of the hour as well, right here on Gary and Shannon. and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Well, you know, like Hollywood types sometimes, they uh, they run a little late. We were supposed to interview comedian T.J. Miller, running a little late. Uh, I pulled in Victor out of the hallway because Victor's a comedian. Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, do you have any jokes, Victor? No, I don't. No jokes, huh? That's too bad. I mean, what do you do when you uh, when you go do your stand-up routines? I usually think they're like drama pieces, but then people laugh at me. So, all right. Well, since uh, you uh, yeah, suck, Victor, at, get out of here. Since you're terrible at, be, at telling jokes, Victor can't do anything. The hell out of here. All right. All right. Uh. <laughs> T.J. Miller's joined us. Maybe next time, Victor. Hi, guys. Hi. How are you? Really good. I'm going to be using my cough button a lot. <laughs> well, oh, you, you don't I'm- have it, do you? No, I don't. The coronavirus? Oh, no, I don't. But I I want to wear the surgical mask just so people don't recognize me. I think I have one. Hold on. Do you really? I would love that. I'm going to do my entire set at the Hollywood Improv tonight at 8 p.m. in a medical mask. Oh, and you got the, this is the real one. Because you have the surgical masks. We don't just call it a mask. We call that uh, a respirator. This is a JV. This is a JV one. Yeah. No, that's a varsity one. Oh, that's right. You you don't do the JV. You do the varsity. That looks like it. Fits. Go. So, okay, this is going to be great. So, anyway, I'm going to be in the Hollywood Improv tonight. And uh, also at 8 p.m. And it's just one show only. I better take this off. Uh, um, you're coming off of five. Didn't you just. You sold out five shows. Five in shows Irvine, in Irvine and five shows in San Jose. So, people seem to enjoy some of the, the jokes that I do. How do you, do you not have coronavirus after being around all those people? Well, when I shake hands, I really wash the hands afterwards. Yeah. That's a big thing. Because I usually do a VIP meet and greet afterwards. And so about 20 or 25 couples, it's almost always couples, will come. And, and yes, you shake a lot of hands. Does anybody ever get grabby with you going for oh, an ass terrible. grab? Really? I, bet. I, really, I think it's so funny that, like... You know, I was talking to my friend Cash Levy about that. I would never be allowed to complain about that. I would never be allowed to, like, publicly be like, a woman just 
forcefully like put her hand over my crotch. I think you when would. I'm in the, not really. Imagine people. I'm like, because uh, I don't think you at any point asking me like, do people ever get grabby? If I told you the truth, which is that I'm going to. That a woman will sort of grab my ass or they'll bring me or gay guys will kind of get in front of me and push push their butt against me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think if I told you that stuff, you'd be like, oh, my God, well, have you talked to somebody about it? I mean, you should be talking to the comedy clubs and the HR and you should right. speak with somebody about I that. I mean, that is, that is minute, horrible. Minute, minute. How could you allow somebody to do that? I you wouldn't. You'd be like, whoa, that's crazy. Totally. All right. Anyway, so, so that, true that yeah. a comedy club would have an HR department. I know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they were, We asked that you use just uh, the D word slightly less. Right. You know? I mean, no, there's it's not a lot of that, but it's, you know, and on on. Uh, I've been kind of harassed on film sets. You know, I've done film sets where, you know, maybe the director or somebody is gay and they kind of are making comments and will give me a little goose or come up behind me and hug me from behind without me asking. And, you know, that happens a lot, but there would not be a world where I would be like, hey, you know, this is... But it's it it also is, you know, I I think that's just kind of a one-way street right now. But I, I think... What's strange about uh, after a comedy show is that they're drunk. So it's not like oh, a real work yeah. situation where everyone's sober and that's an inappropriate behavior. So you kind of you end up being in a Chippendale sort of limbo purgatory situation where the girls are sounds terrible. housed. And there's like, <laughs> well, it's, if you're but Chippendales like and you're super cut, if you have a toddler body like me and you got a woman in her late 50s trying to grab <laughs> under your legs. But you also said that it's often It's, not, it's no longer bunny ears. It's always like, where can I get a finger? <laughs> <laughs> can I lose one? But you also said it's couples. It's couples, right? So they're yeah, they're they're cop in a field right next to whoever they're with. And it's, it's all kinds of stuff. It's You know, there's a weird one. They, look, these, you're right. A lot of these are kind of ladies night out or, you know, it's two single lady friends. But it's also guys that are friends with each other and messing around. But, you know, there's another thing that I don't like, which isn't a big deal, but like, you know, I go to shake somebody's hand. It's always women and they're like, nope, I'm a hugger. Mm-hmm. And then they'll just come in real close and hold me for a long time. You can't do that as a guy with a girl. You right. can't just be like, she's like, oh, nice to meet you. Ah, ah, ah. I don't know in. you, but get in here. I want to hug and I want to just just sniff you, just get to know your smell. And so it's, <laughs> it's, 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 just, it's a weird thing. But that, yeah, right, exactly. Because <laughs> that's what a terrible guy. And, you know, it's just that idea of um, you're kind of public property. You know, and so you get more of that when people have been drinking and they're loosened up. I feel like we're doing some serious journalism right here. Like we've just uncovered this whole underbelly of comedians who are molested and they're not into it. But that's kind of a funny thing because you were like, I mean, the response is because you're like, so do people get handsy? And I'm like, yeah, I've had a couple of hands where they don't belong. And then you're like, great. So uh, when did you realize you were funny? (laughs) Like at what age were you like, I'm kind of a class cut up. <laughs> so tonight, of course, Hollywood Improv, 8 o'clock in the main room. Uh, still tickets available. And you go to improv.com. There are only 15 tickets left. So yeah, but if that's you want to come, come on. Technically still available, right? Yeah. This, okay. that You also in to... that moment could have been like, so get your tickets oh, now. Oh, I see what you're saying. But instead, create yeah, demand. Like, he's like, look, there's, there's yeah. still tickets. So just take your time. Just Plenty show up at the door or yeah. whatever. Maybe you seven 
show once 45. the show's over, and there'll be tickets for the next show. Do you tailor tailor your uh, stand up in terms of where you're going to be? Like, is your set different from San Jose to Irvine? Yeah. Do you make fun of people differently in I those two of, places? I'll usually talk about where I am, and especially if it's experiences during that time. The sets are always different because I I riff a lot, so I'm always improvising. I I riff with the crowd. I I'm sort of known for if hecklers kind of come at me, I'll sort of verbally eviscerate them. I can say I can say it in that way. This is AM radio. It's talk radio. People are intelligent that are listening to you right now. <laughs> so I'll sort of really cut someone down to size, but it's never mean. It's always kind of so ridiculous or just recontextualizing their behavior. And um, but I, I that's not what I want to do. What I want to do is kind of riff and improvise and ask people stuff. And depending on how they answer it, you know, I move around in that way. Or I'll just kind of go off on a riff and start making up some. Because my background was an uh, improviser in Chicago. I worked with Second City and Annoyance and um, Improv Olympic IO. And I um, I toured with Second City and I was an improviser in college. So a lot of it is kind of off the top of my head. And then the rest of it is thank you. <laughs> Uh, and they just brought me a water. It's Look at this time, place. Nick. This He's is an FM. FM, they're like, fend for yourself. That's what the F stands for. <laughs> AM, it's, uh, the A stands for all about But wait a minute. Comfort. You also had a... All about hydration. You have a psych degree, don't you? Yeah. Is it? Oh, man. So you can really degree. screw with people's heads. I don't really try to do that. Although my degree is in... Uh, psychology with a concentration in persuasion theory and social influence. So, wow. There is not, it's not screaming with people's heads, but you definitely think about what makes people get excited about what or what they like. But I, so you're I not, have, you're not just a guy to grope. You actually have a brain too. Yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> Love me for who I am. A guy that likes to talk about silly things on stage. But a lot of the act is not improvised because it's sort of a one man philosophy circus. So especially lately, I really, I, I actually thank the, um, I thank the people in the audience and say, look, I'm grateful that you ripped your attention away from these screens that are kind of ruining mm-hmm. our lives. Yeah. Like, I really do think that um, social media, we'll think about social, it's so unhealthy that I think in a couple of years we'll look back at it like we look at cigarettes now. Like if you see somebody on social media indoors, you'll be like, take that outside. Keep it 15 <laughs> feet away from the entrance. There are babies around. Secondhand Snapchat and kills. And, you know, so I took a little bit about that, about how Netflix is – you know, this kind of pushy drug dealer and that binge watching has kind of created this feeling we never had before. Because when you binge, we finish binge watching something, you know, you did 10 hours of better call Saul or something. <laughs> when you finish it, you have this sense of, uh, of accomplishment, but you also know that you kind of wasted your life. So there's this new feeling you finish that and you're like, ha ha. Yeah. I could have learned another language. You turn around, you look at the couch, and it's, you're yeah. like, that looks exactly like, like my butt. Like, yeah. How did that happen? When did the word that, binge become synonymous with something that's good? Yeah. Like, isn't well, binging bad? Binging is bad, but if you think about it, it's, you know, everything. if everything's better in moderation, then you should be watching three episodes and then stepping away, maybe going outside or like. Well, like the Nintendo Wii, if you played for too long, the thing would shut down and tell you to go outside. Is that true? Yeah. If you played for whatever it was, 20 minutes or whatever, uh, you see it many times if you're in my house, but it would tell you, hey, 
Don't you think it's time to go outside for a break? I mean, you can, I you, you love can skip that. right I past do, listen, it. Listen, I do that in my show, you know? So about t- 20 minutes into my show, I'm going, hey, isn't it time to go outside and read a little Tolstoy <laughs> and just take things a little more seriously? Then you can come back in and listen to the rest of the show. Do you have another break in? Can you stick around for another second? Of course. Okay, I'm going awesome. to hang out. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, comedian TJ Miller is here. You can see him tonight at the Hollywood Improv. T- tickets are limited, though. Yeah. Limited. There's only a few left. Yeah, there was 15 when we first started talking. I just got a buzz, which means there are only 14 tickets left. <laughs> Uh, tonight at 8 p.m., you can go to improv.com slash Hollywood, and you can see uh, the, where you buy the tickets it's gonna on the website. It's going to be comedy. It's terrible ventriloquism. It's Ooh. circus juggling. Uh, we'll talk all about it when we come back from the break. Yes, on and. KFI AM 640. Good job. Chris Little is our improv master over there. Chris! Mm, nothing, nothing, nothing going to save us now. Well, this broken Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. And we have a special guest today in studio, TJ Miller, who fought the mean streets of Los Angeles to make his way over here and hang out with us. He will be at the Hollywood Improv tonight. Just loving that iHeart app. <laughs> and you, well, the podcast is on there. Cashing in with uh, yes, TJ that's right. Cashing in with TJ Miller. Thank you for I have a podcast called Cashing with TJ Miller. Host Cash Levy tries to get different guests on the show. He has never been successful. Everybody cancels, <laughs> or he just ends up not kind of connecting with them. So I'm the only guest he's had for six years. We have over 200 episodes, and it's really fun. It's very absurdist, very silly. We our listeners call themselves the Twelve and a Half because we have twelve and a half listeners. And uh, it's just great. It's a very, very silly podcast. But I have a lot of respect for radio for the two of you. We were just talking off air about mornings versus afternoon. And um, I just I feel very fortunate. I don't know why, but I've always been fascinated by radio. And I did do Adam Carolla. And I was I end up asking him about what he thinks about radio and where he got. And then I'm 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 kind of obsessed with like. You guys, the Woody Show, the Real, which is Cruz here in Los Angeles and his crew, and then Johnny Dare in Kansas City, Todd and Tyler's Radio Empire in Omaha. There's like all these these sort of radio. Jim and Sam on Sirius Radio. There are all these people that are just is so good, and I'm always fascinated by what is it that makes. And it's usually always a dynamic and authenticity, humor, and then also just kind of. Uh, being able, especially in talk radio, to just no dead air, just keep your you're interested enough and you're interesting enough that you just keep people listening. And this is the type of stuff you'll see tonight, the Hollywood Improv at 8 p.m., just me earnestly talking about respect and reverence for radio. It seems well, like you have that community at your shows, you know, where you 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 talk to people. You're not just the guy on the stage. You're not separate from them. Yeah, but you bring people into ass. it. Yeah, And I don't, I don't want to do something that you think – I always say no other audience will see this exact show and I will never perform for this exact audience. So it's a singular experience that all of us are having in the room at that time. And this is also, you know, a couple places, Showtime and some other places are coming to see the hour. So you will see some improvisation, but you will see really my tip top. I have about three hours of material, but this is a very specifically curated hour. And I've been touring. The name of the tour is Touring in Perpetuity. And uh, my website is tjmillerdoesnotheaveawebsite.com. I, uh, 
They tried to sell me TJMiller.com for, uh, I think it was $5,000, and I said, uh, search engine optimization. I don't think this is going to be a problem. <laughs> and, um, and You're so, like, I did Silicon Valley. I yeah, know well, just, uh, people are Googling. Nobody's typing in. Right. When's the last time you typed in a URL all yeah. the way through? Right. And you're like, dot, dot CMO, oops, backspace, backspace, C-O-M. But I, you know, I think I've been touring now for about two and a half years and I do about 50 weeks a year and I'll do that again this year. I'm doing an international tour. I did Scandinavia a year and a half ago. I'm doing all of Europe this year in the spring. And, um, I just, I love, I'm loving stand up. I started as a stand up, And so I'm trying now to just do stand up in the hopes that, you know, I think I'm a really good comedian, but I would like to be a great comedian, one of the great comedians, and that just requires so much work on the road and internationally, but what? certainly domestically, I'm just all over the place. And, you know, when you come to Los Angeles, and I live in New York, when I perform a weekend in New York, you really have to bring your A game, because people in Los Angeles have seen everybody. They've yeah. seen Sarah Silverman, Patton Oswalt. Well, what's your definition of a great comedian? How do you define it? I mean, you could probably list for us, you know, 10 or 20 names of people that you consider great comedians, but what makes them great? What What is that level? Well, some people achieve? say, oh, we are a great comedian, but I'm talking about people like Norm MacDonald and Jim Gaffigan and these people that are just such masters. And, Hot pockets. Uh, exactly. And <laughs> that's exactly it. It's like, you know, you, you think of them and you think of a specific bit. Or totally. Think, okay, Gaffigan speaks for his audience. Um, you know, Chris Rock sort of paces the stage and he's talking about really sociopolitical things. Dave Chappelle sort of has his laid back attitude, but is also really looking at society as a whole. And then Norm Macdonald is just sort of very, very strange and silly and absurdist. And so it's just, it's different people. And then I think in my act, a lot of what I bring is it is, it's sort of a, I say it's a one man philosophy circus because it's, it is observational, but a lot of it's philosophical um, it's all silly. There's, there's a lot of absurdism, but then I do some circus. So it's some juggling, but non-traditional juggling. So cigar boxes and, you know, glow in the dark balls and we turn out all the lights and I tell a scary story and then I do this <laughs> juggling and then I have a ventriloquist dummy, although I don't know how to do ventriloquism, but <laughs> the ventriloquist dummy has a smaller ventriloquist dummy that has a smaller ventriloquist dummy that has a slightly larger <laughs> ventriloquist dummy. And you know, the people in the audience, someone in the audience always plays the slide trombone. It's like a show, you know, and that's important to me because you're paying the money, you're going out, you have, you have in Los Angeles, especially you have a thousand options every single night, whether it's, it's a restaurant or the magic castle or going to some event or a club or music or anything. So if you're coming to a stand-up show, I don't want it just to be me standing there and talking. That's certainly very funny. But I like the kind of showmanship of of my act and what I'm doing. So I think that's a way that I'm pretty different from other people. But it it's strange. It's like I'm not really a prop comic, but I do use props. It's more it's kind of more circus than anything else because there's some clown stuff in there too, which is just like silent comedic stuff. What are you into in your real life? I like talk radio. <laughs> I like social media because we get to put on our makeup. Peach Keen. Wearing it right now, sponsored by Matt.org, <laughs> not not com. And uh, no, I like, I mean, I, I read a lot of philosophy. Uh, Kate and I do, we do stream stuff and watch, but we like to go out to movies. I took for Valentine's Day, I took Kate to go see 
Lady and the Tramp at the El Capitan Theater. Oh, look at That's you, nice. Mr. And that Romance. that is such a beautiful... Well, and then I was working that night in Irvine. And I was like, do you want to come <laughs> down and hang Irvine? out on Valentine's Day? She goes, nah. Oh, the Irvine Spectrum Center? I hear they have a great hot topic and an even better lids. No, I'll be at home just hanging out. Um, but yeah, you know, I think we try and go out to movies. And I like to... We saw Parasite. In New York, it's really easy because mm. you can go, want to see a movie? You look up the four movie theaters that are three or four blocks away, and you go, oh, this is playing in five minutes, and you just walk over and you see movies. So we saw Parasite in the theaters, and I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in this very historic theater in New York, and it was so good. I went by myself. It was so good. I came back the next night with Kate, and it was on a um, a 16-millimeter print. Um, yeah, I think it was that. Maybe it was a 36-millimeter print, but... It was like a film print, the way Tarantino would want it to be seen. I loved that movie. Such a good movie. So incredible. And I thought it was interesting not to double back. Well, I'll I'll double back and say, you know, he was criticized saying, why aren't there more strong female characters in the film? And I thought that was so bizarre because it just seemed like a very specific portion of the media was asking that. Because for me and for Kate and for a lot of people that saw it, Two things. One, it's the, it's about the relationship between these two guys and them heading towards a different phase, but also a little bit on the downslope of their careers. I thought the most powerful scene was Margot Robbie convincing them that, oh, I'm the person in, right. the, in the movie. And they're like, really? Can we get a picture? And then watching her silently watch the movie and watch other people watching the movie and other people laughing – she didn't say a that word a in that movie scene. theater, yeah. but that was the most important scene in the film because if you didn't fall in love with her right there and know where she was in her career, where she was headed, if you didn't see her dancing sort of silently with these two guys. She was incredible, and, and, and all the reviews so, I read were they're like, she was wasted in that movie, no, and she was just a pretty, no. pretty face. I'm like, you're missing the it's, point it's complete, harder, completely it, then. It's, it is harder to do what she did yes. with no words than it is with words. And so that's what frustrates me is you're you're selling her short. You're actually insulting right. her by saying that she wasn't well, you a strong you, character. You've been wasted means you didn't do anything. Right. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, well, she did so much in that film. And I loved it. I kind of parasite. I was like, that movie does everything that a film can do. You cry, you laugh, you're scared, you're horrified. <laughs> yeah, that was a like, roller coaster. Was yeah, you're really, really laughing. I mean, there's a lot of really funny stuff. So when you can get a lot of laughs and you can still have people on the edge of their street seat, on the edge of their street also, right. you know, you're Yelling on the other side the- of the avenue going, what's going to end up happening? <laughs> but if you, you know, if you go through all of those emotions, that's really, really impressive. That's kind of, those are the best films or the ones where you kind of laugh. That's why Annie Hall is maybe the greatest comedy of all time because you cry and you're sad about as much as you're laughing but the movie's hilarious but parasite was simultaneously funny and dramatic but it was scary and then it surprised you i mean you couldn't yeah. believe when Great the housekeeper oh shows up in the middle of the rain and then the movie changes completely you're yes. like what it, did, it, it changed it seemed like yeah. it changed like four times yeah. absolutely yeah. especially when we had a moment kate and i i really thought this but uh kate kind of agreed I thought that what was going to happen was this girl when he's sort of the young guy who was looking after this girl because his friend had fallen in love with her and was going to plan to ask her to marry him when she entered university. And then she did that again to this next guy. I was like, is the family the parasite? Yeah. And they bring in these people who think that they're duping them, but they're actually 
you know, sucking. I was going to say that. Yeah. That was the thing about the movie was uh, we watched it. Wife and I watched it and then said, we don't. It's so good. We know we don't understand some of the levels that this guy's working on. I mean, it's so good. And the other stuff that he's done is also so great. Kate's friends with Tilda Swinton and the Oak Joe film was like so amazing. But this was layered and didn't have any like message. It was just this bizarre thing. And uh, actually, in talking to Kate about it, I kind of still think that, you know, if if and if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know what your problem is. But in that sort of <laughs> that, that 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 sort of penultimate scene of the the children's birthday party, um, you know, you really do see the humiliation of this family that thinks that they have. Um, duped this family, but the family at the same time is reminding them, like, you're not us. You can act right. like you live here, which is, you know, the the uh, the, the the slogan of the movie or the the subtitle the subtitling of it. It's hard to say because it's subtitled, but beneath the titles is "Parasite." Act like you live. Act like you belong here. Act like you live here. And even the daughter and the father and every and. When she calls and says, we really want you to be here with the cake, they kind of are saying, like, you're at our beck and call. Even though you think you've duped us, we sort of own you and are sucking you dry. So I think that it they were parasitic also. It's, fair. it's really, yeah, really one of the Those are two I want to see again. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite. Yeah, and just think, to unpack them. All right. Come back. One more segment. Which yes, is a couple I want minutes to. Come back. Stick around. I all like right. to talk on KFI AM 640. Chris J. Miller has joined us. Yeah. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You can also find Cashing In with TJ Miller, the podcast on the iHeartRadio app. TJ Miller, stand-up comedian, is at uh, Hollywood Improv tonight, 8 o'clock. Just a couple of tickets left. If you go to improv.com slash Hollywood, you can find the information for the show and all 14 that. 14 tickets left. Now it's 14, down, down 14. from 15. Yeah. Um, uh, I wanted to talk to you. I wrote it down. I, I, I mean, I, I bought the 15 ticket. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I, like to go, I like to have a seat to go in and just kind of watch what happened when I was up there. What the hell happened to your head? Um, when I, you had that, I, when I you decided had to s- wear a hat today. No, no, not that. I, uh, you had this a, is really embarrassing, Gary. So, <laughs> scary Gary, they call him when you, when you get on his wrong side. That's the, right. Cerebral arterial venous malformation. Yeah, that's a terrifying. Yeah, it's um, it's a congenital disorder, and there's actually a bit about it online um, that I did for the show called "This Is Not Happening," um, and it's it's pretty crazy. I I while I was doing Yogi Bear 3D. I started to go crazy clinically. Did you really see it? No. Best talking bear comedy ever (laughs) made. I'm coming for you, (laughs) Seth MacFarlane, and your load of crap called Ted. Ted, too. Um, Yeah, so I started to go clinically insane out there because I had a bleed in my brain from this malformation that happened when I was, you know, before I was born. And they, uh, and you you don't really notice that you're going crazy when you're talking to make-believe bears in the forest of New Zealand. Yeah. You just think, I think it's a byproduct of the work. And I came back and I had a seizure and they found this malformation and they, uh, I mean, the bit's really funny online, but they removed it. And I just sort of 
uh, it was very strange. I said, okay, so do I need to go to physical therapy or relearn how to walk and talk? And they said, no, you're fine. You never used that part of your brain before. Isn't the brain nuts? It's crazy. But that it, it has the elasticity to be able to make you a fully formed mind without physical component. It just it shuffled stuff. But the result of that is I'm on, a, I'm on Capra, which is an anti-seizure medication for the rest of my life probably, or some version of that. There's another one called Vimpat that I'm probably going to switch over to in a year or so. And then I take Lamictal, which is an anti-seizure drug, but is also used for mania. Yeah. And the team of doctors that kind of look after my human brain, um, they sort of are starting to see and understand that I am prone to mania. I'm not bipolar because I don't really get depressed for no reason or something, but I am prone to mania. And if I don't take the medication, I can have manic episodes. And that might be because a smaller amount of my brain. They removed a golf ball size uh, piece of my brain. So a smaller amount of my brain has to do everything that another individual's brain has more matter to be able to handle. And so if I get thinking really, really fast, you, I just don't have the space to spread out that electromagnetic wow. currency. Uh-huh. So it's very, very strange yeah. to be sure. And, um, you know, it's it's why I kind of, you know, I live in um, – uh, I live in New York now, so I don't smoke marijuana. But when I was living here, I, w- I just adored marijuana because – It could calm you down. Yeah, an indica or a hybrid that makes sense. And then you get – you can find orga- – actually, mostly in Colorado. I'm from Denver. That's a place where you can actually find like organic weed. I went to Telluride and I bought a bunch of marijuana there. And it was all you know organic, no pesticides, no gr- growth supplements, none of that. And I was smoking that for a while, and that was just perfect. It's just a real slowdown, easygoing. And it's not like alcohol where it's like really – alcohol is pretty bad for you, and there's so many calories in it. Like I'm cutting weight right now, and you, when you cut weight, you can't eat six hours before you go to sleep. You can't drink any alcohol. You can't have any carbohydrates. You can just have vegetables Good and meat Lord. and fish. You mostly just have fish. TJ, no that sounds sugar. terrible. <laughs> no sugar at all. Good God. And I'm, and I'm talking about even in fruit. But like, no, I, you know, apples or anything? No, no. Apples and pears are the worst. That's what they use to make those green, like the leafy green smoothies and pressed juice. That's how right. they make them sweet. And so you end up just because I cut weight for this film underwater I just did with Kristen Stewart, which was in theaters and will be streaming soon. And and a Drew Barrymore film that I did, I got down to the exact weight of a former manager of mine because I was playing sort of a version of him in the movie. And cutting weight is just the it's it's so it's the worst because we can't you can't eat fruit you just wouldn't eat fruit so it's all vegetables and ideally lighter meats but I just can't life is so horrible that I just have to eat some red meat you know because you can't even have any people are like would you ever eat like a wrap a healthy thing it's like wraps are not healthy if you unwrap the tortilla of a wrap you see it's like a golf ball size I think of all things in golf ball sizes it's a golf ball size of like chicken. And then it's just that you're eating a whole tortilla. Yeah. You would never sit down mm. and eat a, eat whole, a tortilla. whole tortilla. And then uh, people say, wait, so you can, can you have orange juice? I go, no. Orange juice is funny to me, too, because, you know, a glass of orange juice is like four or five or six oranges. You would never sit down to brunch and be like, oh, I'll have the lobster mac and cheese. And can I have a side of spinach? And bring me a bowl of six oranges. <laughs> That's just going to be refreshing. And it's all sugar. T.J. Yeah. Miller will headline. Gaining weight is really fun. Yeah, agree. For a roll. Agree. Ice cream. You, you replace water with beer. This is real. And then you have to fall asleep eating. 
And you eat you eat pizza every day. DJ <laughs> Miller tonight. headlining at the Hollywood Improv. There are two tickets left. They yeah, could be maybe worse. four, four maybe. tickets. Thanks, Thanks for, for coming, coming in. in. We appreciate it. Thank you guys it. for having me, and I hope everybody will join me at the Hollywood Improv tonight. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a real show. A show show. It's a show show. I'm a showman, and I'll be wearing a coronavirus mask. John and Ken coming up next. <laughs> so read my lips. You won't be able to read my lips. See you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Blessings. And so we come to the end of another fun-filled episode of... Gary and Shannon.